What's up, guys? We have a packed show today. Colin and I got into Ole Miss baseball, our usual Sunday night extravaganza extraordinaire. I just made up a bunch of adjectives to basically say Colin and I talked Ole Miss baseball for two hours. We dove into a couple other topics as well. Great final four game, particularly between UCLA and Gonzaga. Just went an awesome way to uh, kind of propel the college basketball season to its culmination. But before we get into that, I wanted to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? I'm glad you asked. Skybox Sports Picks is the world's best gambling handicapping website. I can't talk today. Handicapping website. They are the inventors of the Skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has been both tested and proven through years of refinement and gambling wisdom, Skybox Sports Picks has a package for you. Y'all know me by now. I'm not going to be a show. This place knows what they're talking about. You need to go check these guys out. At worst, go dip your toes in the water and get a daily pass. That's a $10 pass for a day for full access to the site. And whatever picks they have on deck, you can use my promo code RIPPY and get 20% off. I'm not a math guy over here, but I'm pretty sure 20% off of 10 bucks is 8 bucks. So for 8 bucks, which is basically the juice on any bet you're going to make, will pretty much pay itself back But just buying the Skybox Sports Picks Daily Pass. I would recommend you go for a full season or a full year-long pass because these guys are going to consistently lead you to profit. I'm just saying, if you're trying to get dip your toes in the water, that's absolutely the best way to do it. So if that's wrong, by the way, I'm not a math guy. You know I'm not a math guy. It's Skybox Sports Picks. No, I'm not a math guy. They are math guys. This is guaranteed to lead you to profit. Go check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY and you can get 20% off. That was probably the worst ad read of all time, but forgive me. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. If you missed Friday's Grill Corner, Greg crushed it. That was worth your time if you listened to the Good Friday podcast. Um, above anything else I said during that. We had Grill Corner. I think we're going to keep that going. Greg answers your grilling questions. The guy knows his meats. And if you are a subscriber to the podcast, you can get discounted on the goods that Greg has on LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We'll probably have some new specials coming this week. Who knows? Greg's a wild card. Might throw a surprise at you. Might not. Got to subscribe to the podcast. Got to subscribe to the newsletter to be eligible for said discounts. Sign up at rippywrites.substack.com. It'll go directly to your inbox. You'll get the promo codes and you'll be up to date on all the discounts at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We have a packed show today. I'm pumped to dive in. Let's go. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Sunday night. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for joining me another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. On the other end of the line, as he is every Sunday night, is Colin Brister. We are going to drop this on a Sunday night per request of a listener. Got a ton to get into today. Ole Miss drops two at three at Florida. The final four was nuts, or at least one of the games were, and I think it probably went the opposite uh, than the public thought in terms of competitiveness. Uh, tons of baseball stuff to get into. What's up, man? Not much, not much. It was a, uh, it was a good weekend for sports. Good weekend for sports. Uh, so, yeah, enjoyed that, except for, you know, Ole Miss's trip to Gainesville. Uh, yeah, that was a uh, tough weekend, and we'll get into that. We also have some, uh, some of your questions to get into. The listeners – um, pretty much, I think they enjoyed that. I started a holy war last week, um, established a on Mailback Sunday, 
And they sent unsolicited questions, basically just trying to command their in this to a permanent thing. So between Christianity, the NFL, and the People's Holiday, it's a three-way battle for Sunday. Yeah, I think we probably need to be a little more tame today on Easter. Uh, you know, just God, you know, not cause the rapture to happen. That's a good point. That's a good point. He has risen and the listeners have risen. So we will get into your questions a little bit too. Um, I actually went to church uh, in person. Same. Time in quite a while. We brought my 80-something-year-old vaccinated grandmother. It was, uh, it was really nice, to be honest. Uh, it, was, how, it was weird. How many times? How many times did you say, no, ma'am, I graduated a few years ago today? I, so, I, <laughs> so luckily we have like a little church. Uh, I would say we have like a little church family to where our church is small. And so we actually right. sit in the same spot every Sunday. And the people around us generally sat in the same spot Sunday. And it was a split service deal. So there wasn't a ton of intermingling afterward. So I think I dropped that line once to someone while we were waiting to take pictures on like the flowery cross or whatever outside the church. But like, I, I don't have to deal with that as much because it's almost like a group of season ticket holders at an Ole Miss event or something that's okay. in the same place for a long time. We so kind they, of all they, know each other and we all know what's going on. So I, I right. shared that awkwardness. What about okay. you? It sounds like you did this a bunch. Yeah. See, see, I have to, uh, I have to give, cause I, I go, so I'm not going to get too much into my uh, religious beliefs, but I go to church kind of pretty regularly. I don't go to the church I went to today uh, regularly. And I have not stepped foot in a church house since COVID. I've been, you know, doing whatever I needed to online or whatever. Um, so today was the first time in over a year I've actually been physically in a church. And I went to the church I went to growing up and I haven't seen these people in probably God knows 18 months. So yeah, I had to remind them that, you know, I had actually graduated school. Uh, I'm teaching and, and coaching kids now and been doing that for a year. But, you know, the, these, the, the people that I go to church with don't remember that because I, I don't go to this church very often. So, yeah, that was a, a common refrain today was, uh, no, ma'am, I graduated a couple of years ago. See, that's a bad move on your part. Not that, <laughs> not that you shouldn't just admit that you're getting older. But, you know, if they're asking that question, you should just be like, yeah, counting two of one's really kicking my ass. But I'm looking forward to turning it to 21 this fall. <laughs> so when they talk about all my mistakes, I can excuse it on being 21. That away in like 2032 when you're rolling up to this church. So like, have you graduated yet, son? Maybe it's a compliment that I still look like I could be in college. Well, you could look like me. And I, if they were like, yeah, I, uh, senior year at JA is going to be tight. I think they would believe it. So, <laughs> Play, Did you make varsity this year, son? Yeah, I'm going to have to start rolling. Uh, I'm going to have to start being able to grow facial hair before not being mistaken for not only graduating college, but also graduating high school. So I could very well go into my parents' church at 31. I might try that one time. If we're still doing this podcast in five years, which is a damn shame that's only five years off for me, if I'm like 30 years old, uh, remind me to try that at church one time, just to be like, yeah, uh, J.A.'s got to help the basketball team this year. Oh, yeah, we got to get you in a J.A. polo just to see. Yeah. got to make sure exactly. you got to dress the part. Maybe I'll have like a late blooming growth spurt to where the basketball part will be more convincing. Who the hell knows? Look, look good, feel good, play good. Exactly. So, uh, all that aside, uh, Ole Miss had some guys that did not rise up at the plate for them um, in the spirit of the week. I like Jesus. Yeah, the, he, he did it better than Ole Miss did at the plate. Ole Miss loses two or three to Florida. We'll just start with the Thursday game. I uh, Sure. I feel like I have to go full disclosure now that I'm not paid to watch these per se necessarily. I watched every inning of the first two games, 
and then was uh, having a little father-son golf action on Saturday during most of it, but had it up on the phone in the cart the entire time. But, you know, not locked in as I was in the first two. But that's as good a place to start to any. I thought the third uh, – excuse me, the first game was – Gunnar Hogan was fine. I thought he was actually probably more than fine. I thought he was very sure. good. Um, this whole th- – this is kind of becoming a theme. And I know it's college baseball. It's not professionals. But maybe you disagree. Ole Miss kind of every six, seven game kind of has a bad news bears. They kick it around type of game. And to me, that's where this loss happened on Thursday. I mean, they, they Yeah, it, it, it did. Um, you know, obviously Justin Bench has the error. Tim Elko has an error. Peyton Chetney can't make a play at the plate that cost him a run. Uh, TJ McCants misplayed two balls that frankly cost him runs. And, you know, if, if you make all of those plays, Gunnar Hoagland throws six scoreless innings, maybe six innings and gives up one run, and you're in a pitcher's duel. But you don't make those plays, and, and you find yourself down 4-1. Now, at the end of the day, it's like, well, how do you want to weigh these things? Because, frankly – um, let's just pretend for a second that the score was one-to-one after the ninth inning. It was going to take a while for Ole Miss to score on Tommy Mace anyways uh, because, the, you know, we can talk about Ole Miss's offense all we want on Thursday. They, uh, Tommy Mace was electric. I, w- I was wrong. I'll admit that. I, I did not think he would be a matchup problem for Ole Miss. He absolutely was. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the defense is what gave up four runs and didn't really give you a chance in the later innings because they just had absolutely no shot against Mace. Yeah, they really didn't. And that was the story of the game, I thought, as well, aside from the defense and also kind of in junction with the fact uh, Ailman, Allman, whatever the kid's name was, that started yeah. Ole Miss didn't exactly jump on him either. Like, the kid was very effective. Uh, no. I guess I have a number of different ways I want to go with this because I, I actually have a statistic to go to uh, – to throw your way. You probably already know this to some degree, but we'll start with the strategy first because after Ole Miss loses the game, I can't tell you how many texts I got from mostly people that listen to this show uh, hailing Kevin O'Sullivan as a, uh, as, a, as a boy genius and maybe yeah. the greatest manager of all time. So it was such a weird deal, and we hadn't done a podcast since both the news came out and it was implemented, but it, when it gets announced Wednesday night that uh, they're shaking up the rotation – and Tommy Mace and Jack Leftwich are not going to start, we both thought, okay, it's either opener or COVID. And then we, by Wednesday night, had settled on the fact it was COVID. ESPN reporter Kylie McDaniel seemed to like, seemed like he did some digging, dug in further, said it wasn't, said he, they were going to use an opener. Or he, was, he actually dubbed it as coming on in relief, which I think became more appropriate because, I mean, I don't know. I don't so, know where you land, but this was not an opener strategy. No, this was not an opener. Uh, this was Franco Alamon and, and Christian Scott starting games. And, you know, you can talk about, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan being a genius. And, look, it worked out because Florida won the series. Um, if he starts Tommy Mace on Thursday night, he throws eight scoreless innings. And Franco Alamon closes the game out, and Florida wins four to nothing. And his closure uh, doesn't have to throw four innings because Ole Miss was not about to score on Thursday night. The way Mace was throwing the baseball, they had no shot. And, and, you know, like, there's some nights that are just going to be like that, right? Like, that's why you play 30 of them. That's why you play three of them in a weekend because some nights dude's just going to get the ball and is going to be dominant. And and Mace was, man, and you had absolutely no room for error once that guy took the baseball. You, uh, you – my thoughts were exactly in line with yours, and that's kind of how I responded to some of those texts. It's like, okay, yeah, this was affected and is it worse, but what the hell is the difference if they flipped them? What happened here? Well, Mace could have gone as long as he wanted to, it seemed like. But let's just say they still yank him after five. Ole Miss wasn't hitting Alamon either. Like, there was, there was quite literally no difference. It was no. – yeah, so, so 
What do you think Kevin O'Sullivan's thinking was? That may be the root of what makes this interesting. Because, look, if, if he thought Mace may, you know, Ole Miss may have a propensity to jump on him early in the game, because you mentioned, too, and I kind of shared the same belief, I didn't think he was necessarily going to be a matchup problem for Ole Miss. So if you go with Alamon uh, early in the game and you let him go through the lineup once and then bring Mace in, that's more of an opener-type role, because then you're probably in all likelihood what it may take him three innings. I don't know. With the way Mace was going, he may not – he may could have finished it off it would have been more likely that they would have had to go someone else after Mace, I guess is what I'm saying, if you just let him go one time through the lineup and Mace comes in in the second or whatever. Well, but the, I'll tell you, it, it doesn't make a difference. What I'll tell you is, is my initial thought, and, and because – and I didn't have any stats to back this up, and I went and actually dug them up, and I, this, what I actually thought wasn't true. Um, what I thought was that O'Sullivan – and I just kind of felt like this, that Ole Miss wasn't having a ton of production. Um, their first time through the order against guys. So I thought he was trying to limit, you know, how many times Ole Miss got to see Alamon, how many times I got to see Mace. Uh, I actually went and looked it up, and it's not true. Ole Miss is fine the first time through the order. Where Ole Miss struggles is the second time through the order. Have a sub-600 OPS the second time through the order against SEC pitching. Um, you know, and so that actually turned out to that, – that, that wasn't the case. So I, I have no idea uh, what – Kevin O'Sullivan was thinking, look, it worked out. Good for him. Uh, won the series. I don't think that move was why he won the series. I just think Ole Miss – frankly, you know, you look at the series, I don't – outside of Thursday night, you make the errors. I didn't think Ole Miss was bad. I, I, I thought, you know, there were some guys that could have played better. I thought they just went on the road and lost a baseball series, which sucks, but happens, right? Like, you, you go down, you play the number 10 team in the country on the road, uh, over three games, you outscore them, and unfortunately, you lost two. Um, so I, I just kind of think, you know, hey, they lost a baseball series, and and I don't think Kevin O'Sullivan switching up his his pitching staff was why they lost the baseball series. No, it wasn't at all. You can also make an argument, and honestly, at the end of it, had very little effect on anything. And you talk about Ole Miss not being bad after the first game. Yeah, I agree. They, so I pre-wrote part of the newsletter coming out tomorrow, and the way I described it was just. Like they, they obviously they blew the fraud in the Thursday game. Like they just kind of kicked the ball around. They're probably kicking themselves at that one if you're actually like agonizing over whether they could win the series or not. But the way I just described the rest of the weekend was just not good enough. They weren't bad per se, but just not good enough to win the series, right? And you get you get close. You know, you, you threaten in the ninth. You almost tied up in the eighth. Um, I actually thought the way they came back after being down six two Sunday was kind of yeah. kind of of their mentality and their toughness. But I, I described it the same way. It's like they weren't bad the rest of the weekend. It just wasn't good enough. And Florida's a good baseball team. Um, I think better than, obviously, they showed the weekend before in Columbia. And Ole Miss just wasn't good enough. They didn't hit well enough at the plate. They made one too many mistakes in the field. And they weren't as good – they weren't good enough on the starting pitching in the finale to win the series. And like you said, it just kind of happens. This is – like the, unless this is start of some – some indicative trend that lasts the next two months that I'm really just not foreseeing. This series is not going to make – this series is not going to carry a ton of weight in June with the head start that Ole Miss has given them. Now, if they had gotten swept, it's a different story. Sure. But you're 7-2, and two, and yeah. you need 11 wins. you got 21 games. You need to go 11-10 and 10 to, to host – or, yeah, to be a national seat. I mean, they, they, it's going to be all right. Um, frankly, you've got – two series against Mississippi State and Arkansas, and I think if you win one of them and don't get swept in the other, I would consider that a success. Um, if you can get out of Florida, Arkansas, Mississippi State at four and five, that, that's a success to me. Because then you look up, you're 11 and what, four? Uh, 11, or 10 and five, excuse me, 10 and five. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of 
pretty much exactly where you'd want to be. So, yeah, no, they, look, they lost the baseball series. They weren't going to win every series. Um, you know, that's why you make up for it with sweeps against Auburn and Alabama, and you, and you kind of try to hold serve after this. Um, but, no, like, it just from an all-encompassing weekend, they weren't bad. They just didn't. And play as well as Florida. And when you go on the road, that usually means you're going to lose. Uh, as far as Thursday night, man, like, it, it, it I've, it's hard for me because, yes, they kicked the ball around. They also scored one run. You know, like, they weren't winning that baseball game unless Gunnar Hoagland just went out and pitched eight scoreless. And even he couldn't do that because the defense was so bad because they weren't going to score. Um, and I don't think that's some indicative or in some indictment of the Ole Miss offense. It just – Florida's pitching was really, really good on Thursday. And, frankly, I thought Florida was really good on the mound up until Jack Leftwich came in the game. Yeah, that was the weird part of the weekend is the guy we thought would be the worst matchup. Yeah. Shucked, and Ole Miss was all over his ass. And that was the, yeah. kind of the weirder part of the weekend. But sticking with Thursday for a second. So, we'll, I want to get into a couple of defensive plays because I think there's a more nuanced story defensively. Yes, Ole Miss kicked the ball around, but there were a couple – that I had some thoughts on that I didn't think were all as bad as maybe they were made out to be. But the first thing sure. I'm going to show you here, Ole Miss against Friday Night Arms now. So the in the first game against the team's opposing yeah. starter, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm counting Leftwich here – excuse me, not Leftwich. I'm counting Mace. It really doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of difference. You're talking about a difference of one earned run. Whether you want to count Allman or Mace. Let's, let's go with Mace. Let's go with Mace. Yeah, it's Mace. It's their starter. It's their normal Friday Night yeah. Guy, because let's go, Mace. He's not gonna. I don't, hell, I, do you think Florida continues to do this going forward? Yeah, I do. Um, because baseball coaches are weird and it worked, and he can say that's why it worked, and he can think he's smart. So, yeah, I think they do it another week. Sounds like someone I know. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so it, okay, let's just say for Mace because he's their typical sure. starter. Ole Miss has one run in 18 innings against teams opposing Friday night guys. What does that tell you? Um, so it's it's a little nuanced. Um, it's a tourism. Sure. I will tell you that Cody Greenhill went to Fayetteville, Arkansas and shoved this weekend. That that, yeah. that was a good sign. Um, Tyler Roth, whatever, from Alabama, kind of got lit up by Tennessee. So that that's worrisome. And then, you know, obviously Mace is not great against South Carolina and he is great against you. Um, is, is it worrisome? Yeah, sure. Um, but and the same thing, what you're two and one of those games, that's why your guy on Friday night is – is really good. So, um, yes, it is worrisome that Ole Miss against the elite of the lead arms has not had some success. Um, but in saying that, you don't have to have much success if Gunnar Hoagland's on your team. Yeah, I guess the way I was trying to frame this in, in, in that sense was, and one, you're dead on about the, the Green Hill and then the RAS part of it, because it was also reflective of how Ole Miss actually performed in those games. Like, were they outstanding approach-wise? against Greenhill? I guess not, but the kid was really damn good to where you talk about like for eight innings against Tyler Rass or however long he was in the game, Ole Miss was really putrid at the plate sure. in that first game against Alabama. So like you mentioned, it is a little more, a little more nuanced than that. I thought Saturday's, excuse me, Thursday's performance against Florida fell somewhere in the middle. Alamon was really good. Mace was really good, but I thought Ole Miss contributed to the cause sometimes as well. Uh, it wasn't as bad. Um, as it was, I thought, against Alabama, against Rass. And it wasn't as, you know, okay, just tip your hat to the guy as it was Greenhill. I thought it fell somewhere squarely in the middle of those two if you're kind of trying to rank them on similarities and probably yeah. closer to the Greenhill-Auburn performance. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I actually agree, yeah, direct right in the middle. I, I did – I will say this. I, I thought if we're talking about Mace, he was the best of the three by far. I uh, wasn't even close. I, I thought Mace was unhittable. 
on, on Thursday. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I almost had a bad approach. But, man, it just – what I saw, he just kind of looked unhittable and there wasn't a hell of a lot Ole Miss could do. I mean, even if you have great approaches, I, I don't know what you're going to do with a guy that's lot, spotting up 93 to 95. He's got a – frankly, the, the zone was extremely wide. Let me be clear, the zone was wide both ways. Um, but when you're down two to one, three to one, that, you know, obviously hinders you more. Um, and then, man, his slaughter was dynamite. It, it, it wasn't a loopy slaughter. The thing was sharp. And, and I, I just didn't really think there was, you know, we, we can talk about approach. And then, obviously, look, Ole Miss was not extremely disciplined. I don't really think it mattered. I, I, Mace, to me, looked unhittable. I, I agree. And I probably should have, have been a little more nuanced in how I said that. I thought there were a couple opportunities early that they could have capitalized on against Alamon and didn't do it. And that's sure. most of the missed opportunities came. Because sure. to your point, when, when, when Mace comes in in the fifth, I mean, it took him what? I don't know. I would say it took, it took me five batters they faced against Mace. And I was like, okay, they might be in for it tonight. Like, yeah. you, you can tell pretty quickly this kid had his stop. Talk about a nasty slider. Um, there were dueling guys with nasty sliders on Thursday night. Gunner threw a couple of those things, and the one I think he threw, maybe it was to Fabian. It was the out he got after the double he let up in the first inning to get whatever the next strikeout was, was absolutely filthy. Like, in, you know, Ben McDonald, energetic guy, good announcer. We can get into the announcers and the drop-off after game one later. But <laughs> even Ben McDonald was like, whoa, that was a nasty bitch. Yeah, Gunner's filthy, man. And frankly, look, you know, it, it sucks because you look up the road in Nashville and it's like, oh, they got this one-two that's disgusting. I think Ole Miss got the best one-two in the country that doesn't have a guy named Kumar in it. Because, um, you know, we'll get into Friday night in a second. But Doug Nikhazy right now is special, man. And it was the same thing the week before. They just uh, – they didn't extend him, and smartly so, because of what you had. So, any other uh, final – I guess the final thoughts, we'll get to the defensive aspect of the, the Thursday game. Like like you said, Ole Miss is down 2-1 to one in the eighth or whatever, not like it ended up mattering. But that was a that was a fairly brutal error by uh, McCants, the way yeah. he did that ball and the gap and the two runs scoring. And you talk about, you know, when you're down 2-1, to one, no matter how bad you're – you're you're playing offensively you still feel like you're right there in the game because some guy leaves one pitch over the middle of the plate and it's a whole different story i i had a one it felt over i i had a discussion and it's you know we've had this talk on three different podcasts now um at some point hayden leatherwood has to hit or john rice bumley's got to go to center field um and and however you need to do mccants or whatever if you want to put him at third or whatever I, I, I think right look, I, would be an improvement. Do what? I mean, even right field would be a mild improvement. Sure, sure. Um, but if Hayden Leatherwood's not going to hit, look, McCants, I think, could play center field and be a very good one with time. He's not there right now. He's not a very good center fielder right now. Now, he's athletic and he can go make plays, but there are guys on this team that can play a better center field that are in your lineup. So my question becomes, first of all, my question becomes this. This kid's a natural infielder, right? Why is he not playing third base? Yep, that's exactly correct. You talk about kids on the roster playing a better center field. The kid playing third base for them right now played a better center field for the first month and a half. Yeah, yeah. And this is – and I want to make clear, I'm not trying to rag on TJ. This kid has done everything that they've asked him to do. He's, he's been asked to go play one of the hardest positions in, in baseball. Never played it in his life. And he's done an okay job up until this weekend. This weekend was a disaster, frankly. Um, he had plays on Saturday that were, that were pretty atrocious too. I, I think – I'm gonna if, if I'm Ole Miss, I give him one more weekend and then I look at him and say, Bud, 
probably time we get, we get you back in the infield um, because you, and, and that just it just hit me this weekend. I don't, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before. It's like this kid's a natural infielder. He's played it all his life. Why not put the guy that yeah he was a natural infielder when he's came, but he's played outfield for two years. Why not put him back in center field? Couldn't agree more with that as well. And and you talk about the struggles that he's had uh, defensively on a couple balls in center field. It also makes what Justin Bench did all the more impressive, just sliding out there and playing a damn good center field for a month and a half and sliding all over. Because, you know, we compared him to Will Golson. And one, Will Golson was a much more consistent hitter than Bench was. No matter where he played, wherever he played defensively, never affected his offense. I know that sounds dumb, but I think sometimes when you have such a hard task defensively at a place you're not comfortable with, it can affect you at the plate as well. Sure. But in terms of in, in terms of the level of of production defensively, which sounds weird to say, that you get, I would argue Bench is better than Golson at pretty much every spot, other than Golson played a pretty damn good first base for a guy yeah. that just handed him a mitt, and he was like, okay, I guess we'll try this. But um, outside of that, Bench has been like a – plus defender pretty much where Ole Miss has stuck him. And then when you look at McCann's struggles, I think that just kind of underscores how good Justin Bench is. No, that's a, that's a great point. I had thought of it like that. Um, I, I just – I don't understand, really. Um, maybe maybe McCants has struggled in infield. Look, I'm not – you know, I didn't see that when he played second base. I'm assuming he can play third, um, and he has the arm for it. I, I just – I don't know. Um, I, I – I think they'll give him another shot this weekend as far – look, his bat's going to stay in the lineup. They'll invent a position because the kid hits. Um, they'll invent a position for him to play. But I, I just think in the terms of Ole Miss as being their best defense, maybe time to bring him on back into the infield um, and, and send Justin Bench back out to center. Would agree with that. Is I think you're kind of dead on there. And when you were – I'm glad you went to the part where asking, you know, why is Bench not going back towards the outfield? Because, you know, Mike said it earlier in the fall. It's like he's not just out there because we needed someone in center field. He's out there because he's playing the best center field on the team. Well, the kid's struggling in center field is a natural infielder, so it seems to make sense. But what Ole Miss needs most from T.J. McCants, they're still getting, and that's production at the plate. Just find this kid where he's comfortable instead of just kind of sticking him in a – not an unfair position, but a very difficult position. And the first ball, the diving one that he missed that the run scored on early in the game, the note I wrote down in my phone after that is that's a ball he probably gets to with two months of game experience. In sure, time. absolutely. But it's a ball Justin Bench, I think, gets to. Oh, every um, time. And that changes the game early on in the game because, hell, you needed to put up zero after zero after zero. And, you know, you get four or five innings into that game and one nothing felt like a hell of a lot more um, – I guess significant than your normal one nothing lead felt. Sure, um, you know eventually they do tie it because you know Leatherwood gets the single, but I think they give the run right back uh, because of errors. And it's just you know, I, look, I, I hate bragging on the kid because, and I don't, I don't mean to rag on him. I don't think I am. I just look. Obviously, he had some struggles this weekend in center field, and and he's gonna look. If you're gonna stick him out there, then he does need time to to get better. I just, I struggle to think that. Ole Miss's best defensive lineup is with him in center field. And this is this is not even adding anyone new. Like, this is making one switch. Bring him in, send Justin Bench out. Um, you know, but they pay Mike Bianco a lot of money to make these decisions, and he's really good at his job. So, he obviously sees something that I don't, um, and that's fine. You know, uh, he gets paid to actually coach the baseball. I get paid to talk about it. Um, so, it's, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see if they continue to do that. But the more and more I watch him play center field, and if he's – if he's just not going to get there this year, I, I just kind of think that at some point you bring him into the infield or 
you play John Rice Plumley over Hayden Leatherwood, you move him to right, you put Plumley in center field. Agree. And uh, by the way, we've already discussed this on the podcast before. Remember, you're actually paying me to talk about baseball. We're that's that's true. That's true. I'll Venmo you after this. <laughs> the, uh, but it's a, it's a good point, and they do give the run right back. And you know, as McCants's ball in the eighth was bad. Like you know, he yeah. gives up two runs. It effectively ends the game for all intents and purposes. Way Ole Miss at the plate. But to me, the more it sounds okay, McCants's first. First one was not as bad. The second one I thought in the eighth is bad. But to me, the more egregious one is you get the run back, you tie it, you allow a guy to reach on throwing error by bench in the third. We just got done talking about how great bench has been defensively. So whatever, give him a pass there. But then you have a, a, a goof by, uh, by Elko at first base. And so that's back-to-back errors, and they get the run right back. And you, yep. I'm not a big momentum guy, but you talk about the flow of a baseball game and when runs are hard to come by. I do think there is some kind of – you know, momentum or juice factor factored into where, hey, okay, you level the run back up 1-1 on a night where you know four runs, three runs might win the baseball game. Um, I think that matters. And not having a shutdown inning to no fault of Gunner really kind of sucks. I think that's crucial. Yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big momentum guy, but I am a big believer in shutdown innings. And when you can't get them because your defense fails you, not because your pitcher fails you, that that's – that's hard. That's worrisome. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I think that did matter. And then obviously they get the run back and May steps on the mound and it's just like, man, you know, he's throwing 93 to 95 with a slaughter that's filthy. It's like, well, we're just kind of screwed at this point. And frankly, they were just kind of screwed at that point. They weren't scoring again. So it just, it, it kind of felt like, man, even at two to one for the three innings or two innings that they hit, it's like, they, they don't have a shot. And, and they kind of just didn't. Yeah, they really did it. But, you know, again, it's at two to one if you can keep it there and not have the problem in the eighth. You're leaving the chance of just getting lucky. You know what I mean? You can tie sure. it without needing a base runner. And then when it, sure. like, like we mentioned, it got to four, and, boy, that thing really felt over. And so, you know, after that game, you kind of go – you leave the night with the feeling like, okay, like, okay, they played pretty poorly, whatever. Like, you know, you need a really good outing from Doug tomorrow, and that's exactly what you got. But it's weird going into the weekend – I was so fired up to see what the hell was actually going on with Florida's pitching situation. And that ended up not being a storyline in the game at all, which I thought was kind of bizarre. Like if someone was, if someone was making a wager, like what the lead storyline after Thursday's game would be like, that would be at the top of the list. Right. And it ended up, it didn't end up factoring into it at all. Aside from, I'm sure I didn't read any message boards or whatever, but I'm sure there are, there had to have been at least one calling for Mike to use an opener. Was, am I wrong? Um, there was one pissed off that uh, it worked against us because, as I and I quote, all this bullshit Bush League stuff works against us. I don't know why. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. Man, my head said it. <laughs> he was not happy. The only difference you get is if you flip-flop them is that, like you said, at Mace goes seven or eight minimum shutout, and the other kid doesn't have to throw four. The it only difference is you might get swept if they throw Mace because they'd have brought Alamon in on, on uh, Friday night when the game was tied, and you might have been screwed. That's actually a really good point. I had not thought about it like that. Like, that's an interesting zag. Like, it, it may have actually worked in Ole Miss's favor in a weird convoluted way at the end. Of course, it worked. But the guy spent for the weekend after that instead of seeing him in bits in a couple games. Because I promise you, after he goes four innings, I bet as Matt, you know, Bianco gets upset with the losses. But I bet he saw that that kid threw four innings was like, 
okay, one less, one less issue. Yeah, I actually texted a friend of mine. It was like, outside of losing the baseball game on Thursday night, Thursday night went as well as possible for Ole Miss. So before we, so before we transition to, to Friday's game, I'm I just now, I guess, kind of considering this because I made the whole case in like the halfway Friday newsletter I did, and then I actually did kind of a monologue before we got to LB's Greg's uh, uh, mailbag Friday. But I was trying to make the point, it's like, just because something works doesn't make it revolutionary to where now we've already taken this to a whole nother step was, did it actually work to their detriment because you ruined the kid for the rest of the weekend? To where Mason's yeah. clearly fine. And so I guess I'm just now thinking about this chatting with you in real time. Where do you land on that at the end? Was it a good or a bad move? Um, could, could it be neither? Like, I don't. If yeah. I had to say, if I had to say one, I would say bad because I think, honest to goodness, if you throw Mace on Friday night, well, all right. So, so this is a little bit hypocritical, right? Because, all right, if you throw Mace on Friday or Thursday night, he throws eight innings, uh, gives up one run, Ole Miss loses three to one, whatever. Alamon closes the game. But if you do that, you're going to keep Jack Leftwich on Friday night, and Ole Miss was going to assault Jack Leftwich, and the game wouldn't have been over. So I, I just kind of think it's net neutral. Yep, I think that's a great way to surmise it. And then one last quote on the situation before we move to the Friday game. Who does this sound like to you? I think you guys are looking way too much into it. This was not a knee-jerk reaction, and I'm not going to make this a bigger story than it is. We went through this before the game, and Tommy was going to do the exact same routine he always does. And to be honest with you, I don't really want to talk about it. And I'm not going to answer questions about Tommy's mood or he took it great. He's a great teammate. That's it. That's the last I'm talking about it. Does that sound to you? I tell you what that sounds like. That sounds like a dude that doesn't like his team. That's a great point. I was more just trying to dig at the man wearing five. In the sure. But, but, yeah, you're right. That's a Because, again, we just talked about it being a net neutral at worst. But if Leftwich wasn't terrible, it probably makes it a net negative because you wasted one of your best relievers, arguably your best reliever, for a guy who threw five shutouts. You're basically – like if you're looking at Thursday in a vacuum, I wish I could have – like we could have had this conversation beforehand. I could have, like I guess, like thought of this by bouncing ideas off you. All you did in that situation was not maximize what you got out of Mace. You got five, nope. and you clearly could have gotten seven and maybe eight. Yeah, yeah. I, O'Sullivan hates his team. Good God. Um, but, yeah, look, Mace would have shoved. So, yeah, I, I don't think it wound up mattering because Leftwich was going to always lose the game he bitched in. So, I, I, if I'm them, man, I, I don't do it next weekend. It, it, and, look – you know, we can make all the jokes about Tennessee you want, Tennessee baseball. Tennessee's good, and they're going to Knoxville next weekend. And I'm telling you, if you go up there and play that Bush League nonsense, you're liable to come back to, to Gainesville with two losses. Okay, so is there a scenario next weekend, and I know this is not a Florida baseball podcast, but just say they win the Friday night game decently by a decent margin. Is there a world where you start Mace and that goes, well, obviously, let's just say they win the game like 7-2? And because Leftwich's struggle, you do the Alamon thing on Saturday? Maybe. Maybe. But, and then kind of finish it up with Scott. I don't know. But, yeah, if, if I'm – first off, like, okay, look, Ole Miss didn't hit the guy. Um, but I watched Connor Barco pitch. Uh, that dude is not impressive. So, what makes him so special that he got to stay in the rotation? Question. That was the point I made on the on the Thursday newsletter was like, okay, if they're going to do this, why are you keeping the kid you trust the least? I equated him, the analogy I made 
was that that kid, it seems to me to be very similar to where Gunner was in 2019. And I don't mean pitching style. I mean, this kid's talented. You know he's probably going to end up being a piece of your weekend rotation for the next couple of years. But at that time, you don't trust him any further you, than you can throw him at this point right. in his career. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. Oh, so we'll see. I, I, if I'm them, I, I don't keep doing that. I, I, I find three starters and I start them. Uh, thoughts and prayers to the beat guys continuing to ask them that question because he sounds – Let me tell you, there's nothing worse than I, – I feel like – look, I never covered Ole Miss baseball from a full-time basis. Uh, there's nothing worse than covering someone who hates their team. Like, AK hated a few of those teams that he had. I just – and you can just kind of tell that well, Sullivan doesn't like this group of kids. I don't – so I don't I don't disagree at all. And, like, the, I would say the difference between AK and maybe some other guys is AK would take it out in a dry humor t- tailored towards his team instead of the poor guys that get paid to ask him questions after the game, which I would argue is the best way to handle it. But that's neither here nor there. I don't know why. They're not bad. They're not great. But, I mean, hell, if they get any semblance of production of what they think Fabian is and a couple other guys start hitting, they, yeah, maybe they don't have the depth. and You really didn't have an opportunity for them to show whether – they're deep or not. I would argue they're probably not deep on the pitching staff. But they could make a run. They have enough top-end pitching and presumably enough hitting if that kid and a couple others could go in. They could be pretty good. They won. They the could East. be fine. I say won the East. If they finished second in the East, would you be shocked? A uh, little bit, but a little bit, but not – I'd be a little surprised. I don't know if shocked would be the adjective I'd word because I, I think Tennessee and South Carolina are better than them. I, yeah, I, that's actually going to be – who would have thought the East is going to actually be way more interesting than the West in, in some degree? But uh, we West is three that. teams. Yeah, that's a good point. We can get to that here in a minute at the end of the podcast when we go through the picks. Um, Friday's game obviously goes about as well as you could have possibly planned. You know, I've, I've, I've made it to this analogy before. I don't know what Mike Bianco does on game day other than read the physical newspaper in the mornings. But <laughs> if he did were to write down a pitching game plan – Friday's game for Ole Miss went about as exactly as you could advertise. Nikhazy, awesome for six. You get into McDaniel. Maybe it could have been someone else in the middle. Shoved for an inning and then straight to Taylor Broadway. And uh, a couple insurance runs late obviously doesn't uh, doesn't hurt either. But from a pitching standpoint, I think that it went about as well as possible. Other than the fact that it goes to the eight, two to one. Or no, excuse me, goes to the seventh, two to one. And McDaniel kind of gets squirrely with one pitch and it becomes two, two. Um, I guess we'll kind of work in reverse here. But I thought the fact that Ole Miss, that game gets tied 2-2, and you're like, great, we can't catch a break. Here we go again. Them putting a two spot in the eighth and a fourth spot in the ninth, I thought was pretty uh, pretty, uh, pretty big ball stuff, for the lack of a better phrase. Yeah, yeah, you blow the game open in the ninth. The uh, the Cade Salmons play is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, I, I just watched that over and over. Have you seen the one Red Cup did with the uh, Snoop Dogg one where they, like, put the shades on the Salmons? I have not, but I will. Uh, I will. You, need, you need to find that. That was great. Um, but, yeah, no, look, I thought Friday, I could argue that Friday was one of the best baseball games Ole Miss has played all year. Uh, you didn't really have any defensive laps, lapses. Uh, Doug was special. You know, and it's easy for me to sit here and be hypocritical um, of, of Mike Bianco. And, and I will tell you that there was one move I did not like on Friday night. Um, either don't take Doug McKaysey out or don't put Drew – see, and here – and I, I argued this with Etheridge when, when Ole Miss used him in the bullpen. I do not like using Drew McDaniel for one inning. Like, because they were always going to go to Broadway in the eighth. Figure out another way to bridge it to him because it's three outs. 
I don't like using the guy that can give you three or four quality innings of relief uh, for one inning because he throws that inning and then he's not fresh on Saturday. And he, you know, obviously gives up the home run on Saturday. Um, I, I just kind of almost has to find that guy that can give you an inning to bridge it to Broadway. We're not having to rely on McDaniel to be a bridge guy for three innings uh, on Saturday after throwing an inning on Friday night. Um, but yeah, outside of that, man, it was just that was one of the best baseball games that that Ole Miss has played this year. Doug was special; he continues to be special. That's now what eleven SEC innings that he hasn't given up a run. And outside of the first two innings, Florida really just didn't have much for prayer. Agree. And Doug, so Doug allows one earned an unearned run over six innings, struck out eleven, walked three. He was absolutely special. He gets taken out at exactly one hundred pitches. So I, right. I don't necessarily could you squeeze another one out of him. Okay, maybe, but I also get what they were doing by not doing it, given what he'd kind of gone through earlier in the year with the injury and all that, sure. being a little more cautious. But you're exactly right in the sense to where they need a guy. Like, don't you think some of that – so Mike lost the game on Thursday, right? Yeah. It's a two-to-one game at that point. Don't you think that's a uh, – I don't want to say a gut play, but in terms of like he's probably sitting there and thinking in his head, does he trust? And I don't know if he fully trusts Austin Miller or Jackson Kimbrell at that okay. point. Okay. So he's okay. just not screwing around and going with it. I, I, I'm not defending him, but I can see the psychology behind the move. Let, let, me, let me present this, okay? And, and I'll follow that. You. Using him for one inning doesn't make a ton of sense. My, my thing with that is, okay, then use him like Aaron Greenwood. Let him finish the game. You know, like if you're, if you're going to use him like that, then okay, let him throw three innings and, and don't have to use them both. Um, well, how about another alternative? Just let Broadway get nine outs. He didn't pitch the day before. Okay, I'm fine with that. Whatever. I, I just don't like using both of them. I mean, Broadway can certainly get nine outs. He got 12 in uh, Dallas to start the year. Um, but, you know, that obviously puts him down for the next day. I just kind of think it's at the point, and we're, this is a conversation we're about to have. If you're going to use Drew McDaniel out of the bullpen, and I could argue you don't need to do that anymore, um, I do think you need to use him more than one inning settings. And and I tr I trust Drew McDaniel to close games. Maybe Mike doesn't, but and you know I'm not saying he should, but I I, I trust him to get outs in big time situations. And and if you know he needs to close a game, then then I, I have little issue doing that. I just don't like him. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. I don't like using him in a one inning setting. I don't think you're wrong. And we, we can I was about to say we can get to this in a second. That was a good tease for later. Um, you know. This conversation may be rendered moot here yeah. because Mr. McDaniel may have another role, and we'll get to that here in a second. But you're right. So, you know, we, we talked about this with the fact that Mike stuck with Derek Diamond. He kind of has this shiny new toy um, in Drew McDaniel that's a gigantic asset. And this past weekend, so against uh, Alabama, I would say he maximized the value of that asset. Sure, sure, absolutely. In Florida, in neither day that McDaniel pitched, because McDaniel pitched the Saturday game, Mike did not maximize the value of that asset. Again, he was good in relief, and Ole Miss needed that one shutout inning, obviously, from excuse me, one shutout inning. They needed the inning from him despite him giving up the solo shot, but you're not coming close to maximizing the value of Drew McDaniel by pitching him one inning late in relief before going to Broadway. Again, he's not a bridge guy. He's a long relief guy, or I guess in certain situations, if you really just need three outs and you don't have anything left and shit got weird, you know, high leverage, obviously, because he has the stuff. But when you have a two-to-one lead, pitching him for one inning to get the game to Broadway is not maximizing him. And then on top of that, and we will—I don't want to skip to the Sunday, excuse me, the Saturday game yet. Him pitching down six to two is certainly not maximizing his value in, at all. And so that's you know, he's kind of Mike's kind of got this asset, and he did well with it the first weekend. This became a thing 
Um, maybe not so much the second weekend because obviously McDaniel did start against Auburn with Doug Nikhazy out. But that's an interesting point. Um, but and we'll get to the we'll get to the 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 number three starter thing in a second. Did anything else stick out to you from uh, from this game other than I mean I've got one on thing. Jacob Gonzalez absolutely Good. enjoyed that baseball and was just huge for Ole Miss in game two. I'll be honest with you, and I texted you during the game and kind of made a critical comment of Gonzalez. He'd been struggling, um, and, and it was, frankly, time for him to, you know, hit or be put in the nine hole. And, and credit to him, man. He made some adjustments or whatever he needed to do because he was, he was big time this weekend. Um, the kid is obviously a stud. Like, like, you can see him play and know, hey, he's a stud. But for three weekends, you know, he struggled. And that's going to happen because he's a freshman, and it was just kind of that time of, all right, if he's not going to hit, we've got to do something as far as – he's not coming off the field. But as far as getting him in the seven or the eight hole, um, credit to Mike. He puts him in the two hole, and, and man, he has an absolute stellar weekend. And, and you look up, and he's one of the reasons that you won the game that you did because he was good. He was good on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, uh, credit to Gonzalez. It, it looks like the scouting report may have got out on him for a little while, but uh, it looks like this weekend he may have had an adjustment for it. So that's good to see. He also knocked the piss out of that baseball in that home run. Oh, he crushed it. Destroyed it. And you mentioned, you know, he, it's, he's a similar spot to Gray, right, other than the fact that he doesn't have a family lineage to where people can say he's only playing because of his last name. Oh, my the God. Dodge is a cool enough last name. But you're right. So he was not good for three weekends. You know, you kind of think the scouting report on him, it probably does come out a little bit. But at the same time, he's 286 with four home runs, 21 RBI, slugging 448, OBP 367. Okay, that's nothing, none of that per se other than maybe the home run and RBI total is something to write home about. But as a guy that's played every day from day one at the most important defensive yep. position on the field, he's handled himself quite well. And you can get you know some semblance of that because I – Ole Miss, and this is a part of a conversation I want to transition to here in a minute when we wrap up the season in its totality, but, like, Ole Miss doesn't need to rely on him to be a consistent, heavy producer in the middle of the line or anything like that. They kind of need for him to be the semi-consistent version of himself and just not have three weekend stretches like that. Yes, absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, and, and, yeah, the Ole Miss doesn't need him to be the basher that they need Elko, Leatherwood, and Graham to be. Um, so yeah, look, if he can be the guy that, you know, has the, the 280 and hits eight home runs and has an 830 OPS and plays as good of a shortstop as he's played all year, then yeah, you'll absolutely take that. So it was good to see. I'm sure that gave him some confidence because, you know, look, he's 18 years old. He's, you know, from California. It's a long way from home from him. He's, he's struggling right now and he struggled for three weeks. I'm sure he had a little bit of confidence issues. So that's good to see for him that, Look, that kid's going to be a stud in Ole Miss uniform, and and it was good to see that that he has the weekend like that, and and I, I expect him to be pretty good for Ole Miss going forward. Absolutely, and again, it, like, and that's a guy his freshman year. Like, if Ole Miss gets into a deep postseason run, obviously we talk about like they they don't necessarily need to be counting on that guy, but you talk about the two eighty six. 448 slugging percentage and all that. That's a guy where, like, he, he he's going to come up huge for them in some certain spot despite not carrying an offense. Like, he's going to have yeah, three, four hits over the course of a playoff run. Here's what I will tell you. He is going to carry an offense before he leaves Oxford, though. For sure. Just not in 2021. No, no. And, and Ole Miss doesn't need him. Hey, real quick, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, having a guy that could maybe give you an inning. Um you know, for instead of McDaniel, do you think a guy that maybe throws ninety four to ninety six with a with a slider could do that? Yes, he could. 
And that's probably why what makes the most sense. And we can probably, uh, I mean, let's wrap up game two, but I think that's a perfect. I think I agree. Water. I could not agree more. I mean, and that's probably where we're headed, honestly, because again, you know, Mike frustrating at times. He's not dumb, but we get to, uh, so they play, they win the Saturday game, excuse me, Friday game, eight to two. I thought they played really well. Again, I thought them, because then at the, like, it, no, like I thought Ole Miss had the advantage on the mound Saturday. I did too. Uh, which was not the case. But, man, that thing gets two to two, and you're like, okay, you don't want to really go into this deal trying to fend off a sweep tomorrow. Like, that that would really kind of change the dynamics of everything. And then putting up the two spot and the four spot and playing a much cleaner game defensively as a whole, I thought was uh, pretty tough stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that yeah. could have gone sideways because it was really just bad luck, right? McDaniel's one of your most trusted arms. He pitched really well. He makes one mistake. It wasn't a horrendous pitch. No, and it wasn't. He punished him for it, and it's kind of like – like, that's one of those where you're like, you're kidding me, you can't catch a break. Yeah. No, I, and, and, you know, to respond to that, after you just got your teeth kind of kicked in on Thursday night to win that game and give yourself the shot to win the series on Saturday, um, you know, it's big time. And, and look, there's – to me, and, you know, maybe, you know, folks disagree with me. When I, when I look at the totality of this weekend, I don't see, like, you know, oh, God, let's freak out about this. No, it's just all baseball game, man. They lost two baseball games. We're going to have to, you know. Um, lost a one-run game and a, and a rubber match um, where your pitcher wasn't very good. So, um, I, I kind of hope that people, when they look at this weekend, they don't, you know, make any indictments about this team. Like, yeah, you're just going to have bad weekends. Or not even bad weekends. You're going to have weekends where you play pretty good and just lose because you, the other team on the other side, they're, they're, they're trying to. Um, so, yeah, I just – I thought that was big on Friday night, like you said, to, to make sure you don't lose that baseball game because, uh, you know, you, you you go into this thing zero and two. It's a whole different deal, and um, yeah. So you, you you win the baseball game and give yourself a shot on Saturday. Unfortunately, they just didn't take advantage of it. Yeah, they didn't, and that's probably as good as a transition as any. You go to the Sunday game, or excuse me, I, I'm going to screw this up all year. Yeah, yeah at least they play Friday this week. <laughs> exactly. So I, uh, I'm going to screw this up all year. You could just deal with it. We uh, so you get to the you get to the finale, and you know. Derek Diamond, four innings pitch, five earned runs, six hits, two walks, two strikeouts. I mean, it's not a complete disaster, but it's uh. also not good enough to get the job done. And he just wasn't sharp. He wasn't sharp, but that's kind of the way he's been for most of this year. And I think you have to finally start viewing him through the 2021 lens, maybe from the short burst of promise that he flashed in 2020. I, did you think Mike stuck with him too long? I think yes, he I get to 6-2. Or five two whatever it was before they uh, before they let him out was uh, probably not the wisest move. Yeah, you know, Ole Miss takes the takes scores two runs in the top or bottom top of the fifth, and then you send him back out there and it's walk bomb and it's like all right, well it's five to two now. Um, yeah, I thought he stuck with him too long. It, and you know the two walks you mentioned that it's like yeah he only walked two he stayed in three ball counts all day. Yep. It was um, a huge struggle to even get to the four innings complete. But to your point, you know, Ole Miss gets it to 3-2. He's clearly not having his – like, he clearly does not have it. Whatever you want to consider it, that's a favorite announcer term. He's clearly sure. not A-plus Derek Diamond. And if you're – at that point, your bullpen is in great shape. Why yes. so many chances? You just made it 3-2. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't understand. And, it, and that's a two-frame lens, right? Like, Someone's like texting me. It's like, oh, that's on fire for leaving him. Yes, I absolutely agree. Mike should not have left him in. Derek Diamond also has to be better than that. 
Absolutely. Like, you know, that, that both can be true. Mike should have took him out, and Derek Diamond can't go four innings and give up five freaking runs. Like, that, you know, I, and, and look, I think Derek Diamond is going to be a very good pitcher at Ole Miss. I do. I don't think it's right now. Um, and, you know, look, does Mike stick with him another weekend? Maybe. Um, he should not have. I, yeah, I wouldn't. Um, and, and, and some of that, right, some of that is I've got someone better to replace him. Because there's, there's been years where it's like, all right, we're just going to let him figure it out because we don't have much, anyone that we trust to replace him. Um, you know, we don't have the – you know, like with MacArthur in, in 18, you didn't really have a guy that you thought could replace him. You do right now. Um, and that's kind of what makes it hard when you see this guy in Drew McDaniel that can go out and give you quality starts. I, I don't know if, if Mike does it this weekend. He may give him one more shot. But, man, it's, it's time to have that conversation. And, and, and frankly, you know, it was time to have that conversation after, you know, a really bad outing in Florida. And you're playing a, you're playing a frankly, to me, you're playing a series that decides the SEC West this weekend. And if I'm on Miss, I have my best three on the mound. Yep, you need your best version of them. And I agree, uh, kind of reeling it back to the point you were talking about where, yes, Mike stuck with him too long. Mike Bianco in a 3-2 game is also not unreasonable for asking his Sunday guy or his game three guy to go get through the fourth. And and I'm I'm very through 78 pitches to where it had been a rocky road and it's like okay can you get the fifth out of him because you don't need it at that point Mike asking Derek Diamond to be better for longer to be better and make it a fourth inning is not unreasonable even though it no. may have been the prudent play based on what you saw with your eyes no and and here's my thing 2019 Gunnar Hoagland received a lot of criticism for not being very good and, and a lot of it was valid. Derek Diamond's not very good right now. Um, and But in 2019, you didn't have that guy to replace Gunnar Hoagland. And like I said, you do now uh, with, with Drew McDaniel. And, and it's just kind of, man, it's just kind of time right now. It, it's hard for me to look at this team and think that Ole Miss is at its best without Drew McDaniel in a weekend spot. And I'm tired of kind of hearing that, Oh, you know, I'll take six and three from, you know, six innings and three earned runs from my Sunday guy. It's like, man, look, if this Sunday guy was due throwing 87 to 89 and had a decent little breaking ball and had him change up that may work every once out of three outings, okay. But this is not what this is. Like, this is a dude that should be really, really good and should be a Friday or Saturday guy for other teams throughout the country. And, frankly, he's not right now. Um, I think he could be really good in a bullpen role. I just don't think it's right now the situation deems that he needs to be on Sunday. And a lot of that's because of how good Drew McDaniel has been. And a lot of this, you know, gets talked about with Derek Diamond. It's like, oh, man, he's a highly rated recruit. Drew McDaniel was too. They were both perfect game tens. Um, I, I just – it's kind of – it's time to have that discussion. And, look, Mike's going to do what he thinks is best for the team. I have no doubt about that. I just kind of think if if – and look, I'm not around them every day. I don't, you know, I don't cover them. I'm not around and, and know the kids or anything. But I, I just have a hard time believing that when Ole Miss plays Arkansas on Sunday, that your best option to start the game is not Drew McDaniel. And is there anything more deceiving than the fact that he's made it six innings and in three of the seven starts he had this year? I would not have guessed that off the top of my head. But the Alabama three. more situational. Yeah, um, Auburn was Auburn was dead. I mean, Ole Miss was up eleven to nothing. But and then look, he, he was he, also very good against Auburn. Sure, sure, he was. But it's a lot easier to pitch when you're up eleven nothing too. Yep, um, and you also like 
yeah, I, that's also a very good point. Like the situation, now I think that's deceiving because yes, he was very good against Texas, but you can't really make an argument that he was quote unquote very good at any other point this season other than that one start against Auburn. And do like you just said, you spotted him eleven runs. I, I agree. I just it, I think that you know, to put the argument to bed, you know, when when Mike didn't make the change, and you know, in terms of making the, the decision. It probably didn't do Mike any favors from a decision standpoint that the kid threw six shutout sure. innings the weekend. He couldn't do it. He, he couldn't do it. How do you do that? Right. But even when we were discussing it, what it boiled down to was we were talking about it was more personality management than anything. Not personality management. I don't know a better way to articulate it, but it was the fact that Diamond had been the Sunday guy since he had put on a game-worn old Miss uniform the entire time. You can use yep. Drew McDaniel in relief. And he was just good enough to where you couldn't take him out then. There were, we were not having some statistical pitching match about who's actually been better. That wasn't the argument when it happened. And now you've kind of seen that, okay, this is more of what Derek Diamond has been this year. So make the change now. What are you, do, what are you gaining by wasting another weekend? Because clearly he does not know how to consistently use Drew McDaniel to maximize the value of it. So what are you waiting on? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that – We'll see you on Sunday. Um, what? Let's just – I'll put you on the spot. Who takes the ball on Sunday for Ole Miss? Drew McDaniel. Because I feel you, like you I'm, think, I'm criticizing Mike Bianco for a decision he may have already made in his head. He may be going this way. If he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. But, like, I feel like I was just harsh on the guy before he's even had to submit the Sunday lineup card yet. Yeah. I think he does it. I think they – look, Mike's – at the end of the day, Mike's a rational thinker. And I just think if you're sitting down there and he's having his little post-game glass of vino – after whatever happened on Saturday against Arkansas, why in the world – or I guess the decision will be made before then, but you get my point for the sake of the reference. I don't see the argument the other way. What is the argument for keeping it the same? I can, I can present one. Um, all right. You, you, and this is what – this is what I do. I would make – you know, I'd throw Gunnar Hoagland on Friday. I'd throw Doug Nikhazy on Saturday. I would leave Sunday to be announced. And I would not lose a baseball game that I could win because I didn't have Drew McDaniel available. Fair. But if but if he is, does not pitch on Friday or Saturday, I ain't waiting on Sunday to get him in the baseball game. He he's gonna start. If I need him to win on Friday or Saturday, I'll do it. But if 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 I don't need him to win on Friday or Saturday and he doesn't come in the baseball game, he is taking the ball Sunday afternoon. You mentioned a guy, though, with good velo and a good slider as well. Mm -hmm. That spot where you need Drew McDaniel, even if that arises, if that's yes. – like I'm playing devil's advocate here. I agree. I think that's a fairly, fairly valid – I mean, a perfectly valid argument. But if that spot you're talking about arises, why can it not be the kid from uh, California? That being good Derek question. Diamond. That was a terrible segue. But you get my <laughs> point. Why can that not be Derek Diamond? No, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. No, why could it not be him? So – you you could announce to be now. Here's what I will say: you you can't pitch both of them. You got to pick one, right? Like you can't have Drew McDaniel throw Friday night three innings, and then Derek Diamond come throw two innings on Saturday. And you look up on Sunday, and what the hell are you gonna do? Like Josh Mallett's gonna pitch. Um, so you got to pick one that has to be available on Sunday. Oh, for so, sure, dude. I would jokingly accuse Kevin O'Sullivan of potentially being on drugs if it wasn't a COVID deal the other day in the <laughs> newsletter. If Mike pitched both of them before Sunday, I might actually seriously be like, hey, what is up? Did he get a hold of something funny and smoke it? Like, what? Why, in what world would he do that? <laughs> no. Um, and, you know, there was a situation like that in 2012 where they would use R.J. Hobley 
uh, on Friday or Saturday if, if, you know, they needed to win a game and then they'd look up on Sunday and see what's left. Um, I don't think you can just – I don't think you can just trot anybody out of the bullpen on, on Sunday afternoon against Arkansas. So, I think it needs to be one of those two guys. But, yeah, if, if – I, I either think that Sunday – and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll be both proven wrong. I think Sunday's either to be announced or uh, Drew McDaniel. I, I will say that. I, I don't think Derek Diamond is – and, look, I'm not saying this with any insight whatsoever. Um, I don't think he's listed as the the starter on Sunday. Maybe he is. Maybe Mike gives him another shot. I will tell you that uh, two years ago, Zach Phillips got one start, and they saw that and said, no, nope, we got to do something else. He got one SEC start, and they said, no, sir, we're, we're going to do something else. So Mike's uh, – he's not hesitant to make a move. And, you know, it was, I guess, statistically – like, here's the thing with Derek Diamond, too. Like, you look back at that Alabama start, and he was not good everywhere except giving up runs. And, yeah, you can do – oh, he pitched, made pitches or whatever. I don't really believe in that. Like, he just got a little lucky against Alabama. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's time to make the move. Mike may not. And, and I hate to rag on Derek Diamond because I think that kid, uh, by the time he leaves Ole Miss, will be an absolute stud and will be a first-round pick. But it takes time, and it's like Gunnar Hoagland in 2019. You know, it's not there right now. I think it will be before he leaves. And, you know, it, and hopefully for Ole Miss's sake it is. But in 2019, you didn't really trust Zach Phillips to replace him like you kind of do Drew McDaniel to replace Derek Diamond. Gunnar Hoagland would have been replaced if the replacement was there. And for a short time, the replacement was there. It was Doug Nikhazy. They just didn't intend on Zach Phillips being as bad as he was. Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, Gunner was better than Zach Phillips. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up the uh, – it also made more sense because it was kind of like what is Gunner in relief to where you could use Zach Phillips' like right. arm and all that. But what, uh, you, you bring up the, the Zach Phillips getting one SEC start and Mike Big pulling the trigger. I, I agree. I think that was the appropriate move at the time. But you, you remember it's, – it's kind of funny going back in time and trying to remember what the mindset was. If I remember correctly, Mike caught a little bit of – I say caught a little bit of heat there was an argument to be made that Zach Phillips should not have even still gotten that one SEC start. Because remember, you were coming off what Doug did against Louisville, even though they didn't play very well or whoever it was. You yeah. Could, <laughs> excuse me. You can make the argument that it was – like the, that he shouldn't have even gotten that. And so that's why I think Michael go ahead and pull the trigger. Never underestimate the power of the TBA, though, because is it a bigger advantage for him to go TBA and just see or go ahead and announce it? Um. No, I, I think there's no advantage to TBA because, man, look, like, <laughs> you don't think Arkansas knows who the other option would be? Like, <laughs> so, no, I mean, they'll have film on Drew McDaniel and then they'll scout him. They'll scout them both if they need to. And obviously, you know, if one gets in the game on Friday or Saturday, you know, that guy's probably not starting on Sunday. Um, so, okay, fair no, enough, I, though, but if you go, T, if you announce McDaniel instead of going TBA, aren't you eliminating the possibility that Arkansas sees McDaniel? For two days obviously they are but they know that yeah i don't know that's interesting um which is my argument against o'sullivan by the way if he's such a genius for using these openers why the hell would he announce that <laughs> that's a good point why would he not on tba yeah my, my thought would just go like tba nikhazy tba it's a mystery I like it. I like screwing people's head. If you really want to screw this head, maybe like circle, like put an ABT in there, or just put it backwards. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's not an advantage to it. I'm not saying I'm like right, wrong, and different. I just like do those. If, do those if you have any doubt? Like, and you're not 100 certain. Why not just leave it there? And that way, if the, you keep the Daniel, okay. If you don't, okay. 
do the rotation that like you list like do they mean anything like do you have to throw those guys or they're just like really nice to send out I don't understand how that works. I, I don't get that either. Surely you don't have to because you could be like, oh, this kid broke his neck or something. Yeah. Like he's, like, sorry, we couldn't use him. So I don't think there's actually any penalty. I don't, baseball has all these kind of weird gentlemen's agreements and all that shit. I just, I don't understand it. So I don't know. I might go, hell, if I, I was thinking about this the other day when I told you, when I, I texted you about the, the Kevin O'Sullivan opener thing, I was like, why the hell would he not just go TVA? Why would he announce it now? And you were like, yeah, that makes sense because, like, why – again, why would you do it? Why not just be that guy? Is there ever going to become along that guy? And I maybe don't want to give Mike any ideas, but, like, why in the world like, – if I was a manager, I just wanted to play mind games with folks. I was like, TBA, TBA, TBA every weekend. You're not getting shit from me. There you go. There you go. Oh, uh, yeah. No, and look, I, would you be sh- – no, I won't be shocked if Darren Diamond is the Sunday starter. I, I you know – I'm not going to be stunned if Mike gives him one more opportunity. I will say this. If he gets one more, one more opportunity, he better take advantage of it because I don't think he gets a third one. Oh, no. This is definitely it. He, if he, he, he doesn't get to pitch poorly in Swayze on Sunday and get to go start again and start for next week. Yeah, but the problem with that is, is like, I feel like you kind of know you have more of a known commodity or a more consistent commodity in McDaniel. Oh, I agree. Even a diamond pick. Is there a part of Mike where you don't want the Auburn thing to happen again? Don't let him. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point. It's like, no, I know this guy's better. And if diamond goes out and shoves against the Arkansas team that people think's really good, now I can't take him out. And my best, the best thing for my team is to have Drew McDaniel and say, that's a really good point that I thought of. You don't need him to go to go, you know, shove and not be able to take him out of the lineup if you think Drew McDaniel provides you a better opportunity. And I think it would be really hard to argue for Mike Bianco that he does not provide a better opportunity on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, if – if I don't think Mike would have pulled the trigger if Doug had been available on Saturday at that point. Or, say, if Doug had been available for Auburn, I think he still would have probably gone with Diamond. Yeah. Like, there's a world where he probably thinks about it. It's like, well, if I know what I have in Drew McDaniel, like, I don't even want to give Diamond the opportunity to throw six shutout innings. Now, Auburn, obviously, much different offense than Arkansas, and the odds of Diamond doing what he did against Auburn to Arkansas are very slim. But if you think you have a more consistent and known commodity, why even leave it to chance? Because there's a world – because you know it's not going to be as consistent. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe this he grows superpowers and he just shoves for the rest of the year and holds his collective middle finger up to this podcast and everyone else. Be fine with me. Diamond. Be yeah, fine with me. It'd be a good problem to have. But odds are it's probably not going to be consistent. And on top of that, I just wouldn't even leave it up to the opportunity. I think if you think McDaniel's a better pitcher, go ahead and just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and pull the trigger. Because the second part of this we can parlay it into is Diamond has pretty good value in relief. Absolutely. I mean, you got a guy that comes out first in and throw a 95 to 97, and if he can do that in relief for one or two innings, yeah, I think he's – frankly, I think he's more valuable in relief than Drew McDaniel. And if I'm right, and I'm not pretending to be some baseball genius by any stretch of the imagination, but if I am right, then that makes your team better because I can tell you that, at least in my eyes, Drew McDaniel provides you a better, better innings as a starter and more value as a starter, and I think Derek Diamond provides you more value out of the bullpen. Um, now, in saying that, what does a move to the bullpen, which will be a demotion, what does that do to Drew or uh, to Derek Diamond? Is you know, look, some kids can't handle that. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying you can't. I don't know the kid from Adam. Never spoke to him in my life. I know nothing about him. I just know that. Look, if you started every game on Sunday for, you know, the first what seven 
11 games of his career that going to the bullpen would be kind of tough. Um, so, you know, if, if that's the case, then, you know, he'll have to be able to handle that demotion. Um, but yeah, I think in a ideal world, he is able to provide you a lot more out of the bullpen than I think Drew McDaniel can from a high leverage standpoint. Like he could on Friday night, he could provide you that inning that Drew McDaniel had to pitch and and that'd be fine. And then he can come in on Sunday, do the exact same thing. And I don't know. I, I think, I think I've thought that for a while. I was kind of, this sounds bad. I was kind of rooting against him on Sunday against Auburn a little bit just because I thought he provided more value out of the bullpen. I think the kid could be a dynamite closer uh, just from a stuff standpoint. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's valid. I'm interested. I think that's the most interesting storyline of the week. I know Ole Miss plays two midway games, but I'm ready for the uh, Thursday game notes to come out to kind of see what the rotation is. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about the the the, the more value out of the role. That, that kind of leads us into the Sunday part of this to where what value – I say what value that that there, excuse me, Drew McDaniel, obviously him being good and being a good <laughs> giving you two and a third innings is valuable in itself, but you're not even coming close to maximizing the value of Drew McDaniel when he's pitching long relief down five to two. Like, no. That's not the, that's not the more, like it's harder to maximize that when a guy that's more special and long relief to where diamond, like you said, could end up being that bridge guy. So if nothing else, maybe it provides Mike more, clarity on the bullpen because the piece and how and how diamond fits in the bullpen is maybe a little more clear cut than how to use this guy with great stuff that is okay in high leverage but probably pretty good in long relief with the lead like there's more variety with drew mcdaniel and i'm not even sure that's necessarily a good thing when trying to define a bullpen role i guess if that makes sense i'm gonna i'm gonna provide you just some numbers real quick okay when we're talking about making a a decision as to who starts on Sunday. I want you to consider this. Um, here's Arkansas's slash line. And I want you, to, want you to hear me here. Against power five starting pitchers, okay? So you got the three games in Arlington, a midweek game against Oklahoma, and nine SEC games. Here's their slash line against starting pitching. 203, 289, 383, 672. They don't hit starting pitching. So if I'm on this – I'm, I'm putting the best three guys I got in that role, and I'm getting the most I can out of them. Makes sense. I can't argue with that. That's interesting. I they would, they light up bullpens now. They will light your bullpen on fire. They don't hit starting pitching. So, but then I'll flip the question back on you. Who starts on Sunday? Drew McDaniel. I think so too. I think he pulls the trigger on that. I just think there's. Well, I mean, we just made the case for him. All Mike should have to do is when they go into that nice ass team locker room, they have just play this podcast. Oh, God. Oh, I don't think Derek would be too happy with us. No, he would not. But you talk about it all seriousness, talking about a guy and his ability to handle it. You know, I thought that was one of the more – and I ended up doing a story on this at the end of the 19 year about, like – I mean, it sounds stupid and small, but, like, Zach Phillips staying engaged and being a decent midweek guy and kind of being the dugout guy and a fourth option had they really needed it, which you could make an argument. They, they needed it. Needed it. Yeah, and did uh, in that super regional against Fable. I think there's something – to that, and Diamond's a smart kid, right? He was headed to Stanford. Sure. If he had not gotten screwed by some incredible admission standards, I probably, I probably wasn't. It wasn't a Dink and Diamond's resume that kept him out of Stanford. No. What I'm getting at, I think he would be fine with it. Is it? Is I think he's a kid that could handle it from the. And again, I, I, I'm like you. I don't know him. I've talked to him in a very controlled media setting, twice, three times. Like that's what we always pretend we know these dudes, particularly in college setting. I don't know Derek Diamond. 
but he seems to have a pretty good head on his shoulders. And he seems to have a pretty good understanding of this team and the game as a whole. I think he'd end up being okay with it. Would he like it? No, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, and and I'll just say it like this. Um, you know, we both covered teams or whatever. Kids know, right? Like, Derek Diamond knows that he's not pitched well. Uh, he didn't pitch well on Sunday. He didn't pitch well and against really Belmont or UCF or ULM. Like, he knows. Um, and I'm not saying that he thinks Drew McDaniel is a better option, but but the kid knows that he hasn't pitched well uh, in, in some outings. And I don't think it would come as a complete shock to him if, if he got the news that he wouldn't go on Sunday. And, again, I'm not going to be shocked if he is the guy on Sunday. But, um, I, I, you know, just in that situation, kids know. Like, like it's not a secret that, that he's probably not pitched as well as he wanted to. Oh, yeah, he knows, and he knows this is a debate, and he probably ultimately knows his fate. And so if you're – I get if you want to be a starter in the SEC, obviously, but he – so if I'm Derek Diamond, I'm sitting there, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. he's also 19 years old and I'm 26, although I would yeah. think he has a way better brain than I do. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily close. If I'm looking at him and I'm sitting in his shoes, and again, I don't know what he goes through on a daily basis, he's a COVID freshman – that obviously is going to be in the mix and going to be a weekend rotation guy at some point. And maybe that's part of the message. Maybe Mike or Clem or whoever else is down there is like, hey, man, you're a weekend guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a guy here right now. I think he'd be cool with a bullpen – not cool with a bullpen role. I'd be fine to explore the option of a bullpen because when you're in the midst of a, a season and this team kind of raises a lot, like I would just want to be able to help this team out in whatever way I can. It's not like he's being banished to the end of the I was trying to think Sean Johnson a couple years ago, like provided nothing in relief. So once that point kid got yanked from the rotation, it was over with. He has value, and so I think that's important. I think he'll be able to see that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and like you said, there are guys that, like when we talked about James MacArthur struggling in 18, he, he couldn't go to the bullpen because he's not a guy that can come out of the bullpen and have success. Derek Diamond's not like that. He will absolutely – look, I'll, I'll be very clear on this. Um, Ole Miss is not going to be as successful as they can be without Derek Diamond. He is an integral part of their, their pitching rotation, whether it's a bullpen role or as a uh, Sunday starter. Uh, he has to pitch big innings for Ole Miss this year. It's just the role that he needs to pitch them in that's the debate. 100%. And how he handles the demotion, if it ends up coming, will be the most fascinating part about this. Kind of wrapping up final thoughts on this uh, on the Saturday game as a whole before we get into our questions and kind of transition to make some moves. Thoughts on, you know, they come back to make it 6-5. Like, I thought that was tough, but you're one swing away from this being a different conversation this weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, Calvin Harris hits that ball on the right field bullpen, it's 8-6, and you're talking about a team that's 8-1 in the SEC. Um, and, and everybody's ecstatic. Look, was this team ever going to go something silly, 23-7? and seven? No. Like, you know, I hope they would too, but – you know, look, it looks like Vanderbilt's going to run off and leave the rest of the SEC. That happens when you have two guys that are practically unbeatable. Uh, one guy that is unbeatable uh, on Saturday and then a guy that's pretty unbeatable on Friday. Um, but, you know, look, you're tied for second in the SEC. You're tied for first in the SEC West. You have a two-game lead on the on the team that's in second in the SEC West. If you would have offered this, and anyone that says they're – they wouldn't is lying. You would have offered this exact situation to Ole Miss fans two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Every single one of them would have taken it. So, I mean, you know, 
look, you're seven and two. You put yourself in one heck of a position to be a national seed. And frankly, I think Ole Miss is going to have very little issue winning the games they need to to be a national seed. Agreed. And I thought that, again, I thought it was kind of, I mean, they battled back. It was tough. They had, they had a couple of those balls, particularly late in the game, that just didn't really go their way. But, man, I thought when they got two on in the ninth, I was like, this team's about to do it. Man, if, if they would have got that one done on, on Saturday, because, frankly, they didn't have much business winning that game on Saturday, and they didn't. Uh, they really didn't have much business winning it. They would have gotten that one done on Saturday. That would have been the game. It's like, all right, maybe they are going to do something silly this year. That's what I've had the same conversation because I was sitting there thinking, I was like, if this team pulls this off the way the rest of this game is gone, it's like, gosh, damn, what a relentless group. And that's still, I mean, that doesn't change the, the, the DNA or the makeup of this team. The fact that they got that close, I still think speaks to that. But you're right. If Calvin Harris hits the ball over the fence and it's 8 6, it's like, holy shit, these guys are going to be a real SOB to deal with come June. And that yeah. still could be the case, but, you know, that's one of those – that would be – that if they had won that game on, on Saturday, that's a candidate and I would say a, a heavy favorite as potentially their best regular season win of the year. Oh, absolutely. Um, Regardless of what happens in the last 20-whatever games they had left. Like, I, I would say that might take the cake immediately, barring something insane. Look. Mike would never answer this question, but I'll ask you. You take three and three over the next two weekends? Ten times out of ten. Yeah, ten and five. Uh, you got to go, what, eight and seven to get a national seed over your next 15? Um, yeah, like three and three, I, I would. I think I'd sign in blood for it. Because, I, look, I think Ole Miss will. I, I think they will go three and three, but being assured that they go three and three would help my blood blood pressure a little bit. Yeah, because in all likelihood, like the absolute best you're going is four and two. If this team, yes, you're not. No, you're the not next week, I'll get a tattoo. How about that? <laughs> Wait, I what? Said that. I said if this team goes six and zero over the next two weeks, I'll get a tattoo. I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> I'm holding you to it. Okay, well, <laughs> dude, they're going to be five and zero sitting in Starkville. You're going to have to root for Mississippi State. <laughs> I don't know who the hell State is pitching, but gosh damn, this kid better shove. Um. <laughs> <laughs> whatever fine if they go six and over the next two weeks hold me accountable i'll uh my, when, my. Do you, when do you start getting nervous like is it is it four and up oh hell no dude if they swept arkansas next week i would be like shit because <laughs> then you're rooting for state at least one of the days potentially all three <laughs> better man than me because i could i'm gonna have to know we'll 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 have to come up with a better bet than this because I don't want to get a tattoo. What uh, what else could what else could be a uh, if they go? We can. I tell you what, if they go six and zero, you could donate to some nice charity. How about if they go six and zero, I'll repeat the Pringles challenge that I tried on. There we go. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. I will repeat the Pringles challenge live on a podcast that I'll do on a live stream. If they go six and zero the next two weeks, I will try to eat an entire can of Pringles in five bites. And for those of you that are unaware, that happened live radio one time, and it was a disaster great from an entertainment standpoint but you talk about having a weird feeling in your stomach for four days and failing at doing so it sucked for your boy oh you failed to do it oh i get it i think i i think i barely got it in eight five was a little ambitious but let's be very clear this was not during covid like this was not peak boredom season no no no. this was peak boredom season in normal boredom time this was (laughs) july of 2019 i guess I went to a gas station during our radio show and missed two segments to go buy a can of Pringles because that's what you do on radio in July. <laughs> Someone challenged you, right? It's like, no, dude, I can absolutely do this. 
I did. We were talking about. It. I said I'm pretty elite at eating Pringles because I I used to get eat them. Ooh, ooh, I have a I have a one that uh that someone put on Twitter the other day that some of my moron friends went and tried. It's to eat like one of the small hamburgers from McDonald's and fries and drink the drink in less than thirty seconds. We do that. Oh, that sounds horrendous. I drove back to to Dallas today and got one of the mini McDoubles or whatever. Yeah, uh, the single cheeseburger, thirty seconds. Yeah. Do people do? It's that? like the Happy Meal one. It's like the Happy Meal one. But still, yeah, it's a single cheeseburger. That's been accomplished. Yeah, less than thirty. They ate the fries and drink the drink too. Jesus, you people are just different breeds of citizens. I don't even know if I could do like two and a half minutes. <laughs> two and a half minutes. I could probably do two minutes. Thirty seconds is absurd. Throw that on a resume. I would say that's a sport. If you do anything that hard, that's a sport. <laughs> single McDouble e- or a s- single cheeseburger eating competition. <laughs> that's a, it's a good transition. <laughs> Let's get to these questions that you had in the, uh, any prevailing thoughts about the, uh, the, the rest of that Saturday game. It kind of was what it was. They weren't yeah. sharpening up the starting pitching. They made a damn good effort to try to get it back and take control of that game and just couldn't do it. Ball didn't fall for them. Yeah. Oh, it's just – Sucks, but you know that's why you get to play. That's why you play three of them. That's why Arkansas is coming to town next weekend. And you, I think that I'll say this: I think the SEC West gets decided at uh, at Oxford University Stadium next week. I would agree with that, unless Ole Miss gets. Well, no, I think you're exactly right. I was about to say unless Ole Miss gets swept, and then Arkan and then the state thing becomes interesting. But if Ole Miss gets swept next weekend, Arkansas is running away with that bad boy. I don't think that happens. Oh, absolutely, out there. Ole Miss is not getting swept next weekend. No, I, I could agree completely. Uh, I was just trying to come up with scenarios to where, like, yeah, it pretty much is deciding. I, I would agree with that. Um, you sent me three questions that we got from listeners over text. Do you want to start with those? Sure. I got them up here. What is the problem with the Ole Miss offense and how they seem to be deficient with the first pitcher they face till they go to the bullpen? And what can they do to fix that? So I, I'm going to preface this with I'm going to throw a couple of numbers at you because I promised this. Um, earlier in the show but didn't do it so here we go Hayden Dunhurst is two for his last no Hayden Dunhurst is five for his last 23 not great no and that was a guy that we were talking about three weeks ago that's like clearly one of the top three hitters on the team uh Ben Van Cleve I believe is two for his last 17 can't play anymore Yes, sir. Why, why don't we just open it up to that? Because that's kind of what he's getting at. We'll answer his question in a second. Do you just roll with Harris? What do you do? Yes. I, I roll with Harris until Baker's back, and then I put Baker against left-handed pitching. Um, I, I, was, I was as big of a Ben Van Cleve defender as you could find in that I thought he should play on Saturday because he was fine against left-handed pitching. And, frankly, he wasn't as bad on Saturday if you look at it because he got on base twice. I think he went 0 for 2. Um, but the double play that he hit into is just a killer. And then he doesn't play well on Thursday night. It's, it's just not working out right now. And if, if it's not going to work out, I'm not, I'm going to not let it work out with a freshman and Calvin Harris has frankly been good. Um, I roll with him until Baker's ready to go. And then I let Baker hit against left-handed pitching. Yeah. And I, I may have been being a little generous in the way I framed that question too, dude, the, he had two hits in the finale against Auburn and has not had a hit in an SEC game since. No, it's, it's not good. 
Um, so, yeah, he got on base twice because he got hit and I think walked or maybe he got hit twice. I'm not sure. But, yeah, it's, it's not good with BBC right now. I think you could make the same argument as we made for Elko and maybe Chase Cockrell in the past where I was like, you know, when we were arguing – not arguing. We were taught discussing – about like, okay, what do you do if Elko gets off to a slow start and doesn't produce? And you, we just basically was like, hey, they don't have any other option. They need to give him 25 games to let him figure this out. We've played 27 games. I think this is enough. Van Cleef, and this is probably goes for, for, for Leatherwood as well. Did you know Leatherwood has played in 26 of the 27 games with 25 starts? What more do you need to see? Yeah, yeah, he uh, didn't play. He came in yesterday, and then he didn't play in the last game against Alabama. Um, no, I, I think Leatherwood is fine if you hit him in the seven or eight hole. Um, my, my question becomes with him is, do you get more value out of playing Plumley as a defender and letting him hit? Because frankly, Plumley's been pretty good at the plate. I mean, he smashed two balls yesterday that just got caught. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, look, some guys are slumping right now. Dunhurst did have the big triple yesterday and had it, had another hit. So maybe he's starting to come around. Um, but yeah. I mean, you need guys like Dunhurst to produce. I actually went and pulled the numbers because I was interested. Do what? What about potentially DH? If Leatherwood, say he has yes. a score in next two weeks, what if you DH him and play Plumlee in the field? Yeah, that's no, that's a, a completely viable option. Um, I went and pulled the numbers related to this guy's question, talking about first time through the order. Here are the OPSs, first, second, third, and then beyond times through the order. So, first time through the order. Now, this is interesting to me. 757, okay? Pretty good, right? Like, hey, you're facing pretty good arms as starters. First time through, you have a 757 OPS. For, for relation, an, an 800 OPS is considered pretty good. So, you're, you're below that a little bit. Here's where it gets weird. Second time through the order, OPS, 591. That's horrible. And, and it doesn't make sense. Third time through, they kind of get kind of get fixed, 793. And then fourth and beyond times through, their OPS is, I think, over one, like 1.015. So, like, the, what makes no sense to me is that how much better, 200 OPS points better the first time through than they are the second time through. And that kind of makes sense when you look at it, right? Like this team to me kind of feels like they can start off scoring. And then from the third to like the sixth inning, there's just not much there anymore. Yeah, you killed, you've just nailed it with that to where if you talk about the eye test where it's like the middle innings has not been great, but it doesn't make any statistical sense. No. And the fourth, you talk about the fourth time through and better at being over one. That also makes perfect sense because it kind of speaks to this kind of relentless dogged mindset this team has had where they never feel like they're counted out in late innings and if you think that's overrated again I, I I'm gonna have to put something in the swear jar every time I compare something to the 2019 team but watch how those dudes folded like chairs sometimes early on in that year when things weren't going well for them right all of that makes sense with what you're watching with your eyeballs but the whole second time through the order thing doesn't actually make any rational sense if that makes no any sense I have at all, no if I say the word sense again yeah, no, I have no idea, and I have no explanation for it. Um, and, and, look, it's non-games. That's only SEC games. But I, I can't really explain it, but I, I just know that when I watch them play, it does make sense because it feels like, man, the third through fifth innings just kind of drag on because almost doesn't do a hell of a lot. All right, here's a, here's a thought for you. You're allowed to use an opener in pitching-wise. Why not use eight scrubs the first time through the order and then put your starters in in the fourth? 
thoughts. <laughs> mass, mass substitute all of them in the fourth and hope and hope the eight bench guys you had out there maybe squeaked across a run or two. Mike, Mike would do that and then he would get on the radio and just say analytics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to start this can of worms today, but if I, felt, if, if I were still covering the team and Cliff Godwin were the head coach, I might walk up to him in a practice one day and beg, thoughts on this strategy? He would call me stupid, but in a much more friendlier way. But I think I'm onto something there. <laughs> anyway, but it doesn't make any sense. You're exactly right. I don't get that. Like, but what happens if this continues to be a thing for three more weeks? Are we going to have to find a diagnosis this for this? Or like, yeah, yeah. You would if, if this can, anomaly. If this continues over a larger sample size, like you said, three more weeks. At that point, it's like, all right, what the hell's going on? Because it makes no sense. So, yeah, if you're 18 games in and your OPS the first time through the order is 200 points higher than the second time through the order, then it's like, man, we got to figure out what's going on the second time through the order. But, I mean, you coach baseball. I've never coached a baseball <laughs> team in my life. I would not trust anyone with T-ball. Like, if, if someone put me in charge of a T-ball team, I would probably have that person arrested or the society should. Point being, <laughs> what do you do? Like, I don't – like, even if you diagnose it as that and this is a problem, what, I don't – what, what okay. adjustment is there to be made? So that's the thing. It's not really one, right? Like, I think you try to figure out why what's happening. Um, and maybe, look, hopefully, hopefully, and I think it will, this averages out over the next three weeks because I don't necessarily believe that there's anything to it. It's just a little weird when you watch it and you think – because I've caught myself doing this. I'll watch them the first two innings. They have good at-bats. And then from three to five, like, you can envision it really on, on Thursday and Friday. They just did not have good at bats the third through the fifth inning. And then later in the game, the bats get better and they score. Um, when you talk about Alabama, right, the first game, they don't really do much. The, the, after Dunhurst's home run and after Justin Bench and those guys get their bases loaded and they're not able to score, you talk about the third of the sixth inning. They don't do anything. Um, you talk about really the Saturday game at Alabama, really the first – five innings or four innings they don't do much there until they come back around for the third time and for whatever reason that second time through the order has just been a pain for them right now yeah it's weird it's 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 weird that it's a thing in april right like it's be one thing you hit this up like a weekend in march it's like okay you know whatever that's uh but it's definitely something to monitor going forward and that's an interesting point that uh our listener what was his name bailey yes bailey winners i believe was his name I wanted to give proper credit. Where That's credit. my guy. That was a good uh, – that was a great question and an interesting observation that, honestly, like you mentioned, you articulated and you went and kind of dug up some of that as well. But, like, it makes sense with what your eyes are going, but I'm not a big enough, not big enough into math or numbers to have ever been able to bring that to, like, I guess, like kind of parallel the two because it makes sense. His second question is the big knock of Calvin Harris at designated hitter Seems to be he has a high strikeout rate, but as of late has been better. Only two in SEC plays, he says in parentheses. Only two in SEC play, I should say. Do you think Bianco gives LaFleur or Baker an opportunity if the DH position isn't somewhat solidified when they're able to return? My answer is a resounding yes. Unless Calvin Harris goes on some kind of nuclear mission to where he's just bombing balls left and right no matter what hand the guy throws with, I still think, I can't remember if you and I talked about this on the midweek podcast or I, this was part of the, the solo bit I did on Friday. 
there's still a decent chance their best option to solidify the DH is LaFleur coming back healthy or Baker and either one of them realizing their potential at the plate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think Calvin Harris can hit. He's been really good in SEC play. There is – I can say this. There is some concern about him hitting left-handed pitching. There, there is. Um, I think by the time he graduates from Ole Miss or leaves Ole Miss as a high draft pick, which he will, uh, he will be able to handle left-handed pitching. I don't think he's there right now. Um, so I, I do think when, you know, Kel Baker's able to return, which that's, you know, another week or two, that he's going to get a shot against left-handed pitching. I think Calvin Harris will still get his at-bats against right-handed pitching. And when LaFleur is back, I think LaFleur – now, I will tell you, on LaFleur, before he got mono, he wasn't getting a ton of at-bats. So, you know, Which maybe – contributed may- to some of the inconsistency. I'll frame it to you this way because I think you're onto something there. If you maybe bet on one of the three – Again, mono side effects aside, let's just say at a certain point where it's so significant, he, Trey LaFleur comes back as 100% healthy. Sure. LaFleur, isn't that who you're betting on? LaFleur? Yes. I don't know. Um, I mean, it depends on Harris. Like you said, if, if he has this run, then no, I think Harris gets the at-bats. I, Arkansas starts one left-handed pitcher. So they start two righties, uh, assuming they keep the rotation the same with Wicklander, Vermillion, and Lockhart. Uh, they start a lefty on Sunday. I'm interested to see what Ole Miss does on Sunday, because um, I, I just I don't I don't know. Um, we'll see, but I I think Harris will get the at bats till those guys are back, and then Baker I think gets the at bats against left-handed pitching once he's back, and that's when it gets interesting is when Lafleur comes back. Is how do you get him at bats? Because look, he had a high strikeout rate, no doubt, but you can absolutely see the potential there. So I think there's three guys that when they're all healthy. You're going to compete for the at-bats. But the reality is, two of them aren't healthy right now. So, I think for right now, you just kind of leave Kelvin Harris in there to hit against right-handed pitching. And I don't know what you do against left-handed pitching. Do you leave him in there? It was kind of the problem yesterday, right? Then at the end of the game, it was left on left with Calvin Harris because you ran him for Ben Van Cleve. And I'm not saying that was the wrong decision. I would have ran him, too. I was actually saying that they needed to run for him. But, you know, uh, you, you didn't have anybody that could go hit for him because Kale Baker – because, right, in this situation – like this exact situation that happened on Saturday, if Kel Baker's healthy, he gets that at bat at the end of the game. Maybe yeah. it turns out differently. That's a so, good point. That's a great point. I had not thought about it like that. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I think I think Calvin Harris is about to get a lot at bats, so those guys are healthy. And it's frankly just kind of too early to say what's going to happen with those guys when they get back. But we're probably in pretty consensus agreement that until less something changes that Ben Van Cleve is probably just fading out of the picture a bit, which is a shame, but it's just the nature of the beast. Yes. I mean, it's, it's kind of a Chase Cockrell situation, right? It's just not happening for him right now. Obviously, the third question is – oh, go ahead. Do you have another thought? I was just going to say, and it sucks too, because it's, it's not something you can put your finger on because he's not striking out a ton. I swear some of it is like, and it would be, like, this is dumb, and it's not any indicative of him as large as a hitter, but you mentioned the crucial double play he grounds into. I was holding up the phone with my dad while we were out there playing, and as soon as he hits the ball, I'm sitting there, I was like, ah, damn it. And he's like, go, go, go. And I'm like, no, that guy's not beating that out. Like, No, no, no shot. He's not giving you legs on that. I don't know. Yeah, I was, I was praying he threw it in the center field. Yeah, that was, that's, the, that's the only hope you had there. Third question Bailey has is, obviously everyone last year, who was here last year as an extra year of eligibility, who do you think take, might take advantage of that opportunity? Doug and KG, which I'm thinking he's saying Kevin Graham. 
or right. two that I could possibly see depending on how some things shake out and shouldn't affect their signing bonus, the MLB, since they could technically play two more seasons after this one. Yeah. I think he nailed it with those two. Is anyone off the top of your head? Um, I, I, let me say this. I, I expect Doug Nikhazy to go pro. Uh, I think he's a top one to two round pick from everything I've seen. Late first, early second, uh, maybe late second. I expect him to go pro. Kevin Graham's an interesting one, right? Because he's hitting. Um, but I don't really think he's an outfielder at the next level. Uh, and he's never really played a position. Uh, well, he's played first base. I, I don't think he's an outfielder. So I, I think maybe he could make more of a move. And you got to remember this draft's only 20 rounds this year, which doesn't, doesn't really affect this question because if they get drafted after the 20th round, they were probably coming back anyways. Um, I think Kevin Graham could be back. I do not expect Doug McCase to be back. One to keep an eye on, and I don't have any insight on this one, uh, Drew McDaniel is draft eligible. I, I, that's all I can tell you. He is draft eligible. I don't know what that means, if he's coming back, if he's not. All I know is he's draft eligible. Another one that's draft eligible, and I, I'm kind of interested in this one, is Jerrion Ely. Um, what's stopping Jerrion Ely from someone taking him, giving $150,000 and him going pro in football next year? Not a whole lot. And that's kind of maybe the – that was kind of the um, – I'm pretty sure that – because, you know, they changed the rules. I'm pretty sure I saw Kendall say that Jerry Ely would be draft eligible. Is that a birthday thing or the – Yes, they moved the birthday date. That's what I thought. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a, it's an interesting point you bring up. And, like, for him, why wouldn't he? Because we talked about it. It's like, dude and, – and this was granted, granted most of this – most of this, I would say, intel that I had was from the football side of things. But there were a lot of people in that football building that were convinced after what he did his freshman year. It was kind of like, eh, this kid should probably play football. But at the same time, you're a running back. Shelf life in the NFL is uh, is short to say the absolute least. But, hey, he could cash in on it and kind of try to go play that. But like you mentioned, 150K, you know, stop playing college baseball. But this is also – Jerry Neely has never once said he loves football more than baseball. And he I loves that baseball. To say is that he loves baseball. He's made that very clear from the get-go. So I would lean that both he and McDaniel are back next year, but you're dead on in the fact that it's something to monitor because Ely with this injury, he does kind of have a decision to make. But, boy, if that kid hit at a third of the rate we uh, we thought he would hit this season, Ole Miss wouldn't have an issue in center field. No, 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 no. That's – that injury broke my heart because he was your center fielder and I thought he was going to have a spectacular. Let me be very clear before I get attacked on a message board. If he were to get drafted, he would absolutely play football next year. That would just be a kind of an A.J. Brown situation where they give him some money and have him in his system, you know, just in case football doesn't work out. It's funny you mentioned that the people were like, oh, he should go play football next year and give up baseball. I mean, let me tell you something. Jerry, I knew he would give up football before he gave up baseball. I, 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 I now professional-wise, I, I don't think so. But in a college level, I, I think he would prefer – I think he prefers baseball to football. You're exactly right. I mean, he, he, it's consistent with everything he said. And like I said, uh, this intel came from – I mean, how I don't care. I'm not saying who it is. But four people I talked to, and three of them were employed by the football staff at the time. So, you know, take it for a grain of salt, right? Like, of course they think this or they want to think this. But so at the same time, they're also realistic people. I just thought it was interesting that that early on they were so convinced about it. Um, yeah. Let's roll into these last couple. That was good questions by uh, ardent listener Bailey Winters. I appreciate that. Uh, we have one from Tim Peeler that says, can you tell the story of getting kicked out of the Diamondbacks locker room? Uh, this came oh, yeah, I remember this. 
This came from the Friday podcast. Grant, dude, someone asked us a question about Grant, uh, about the best sporting events we've been to, and I don't have that many. I've covered some interesting stuff, but I've never covered or gone to any like all timers in terms of the sporting event. The most interesting thing no. I had was I was a twelve year old or thirteen year old when that tornado hit the Georgia Dome that I was inside for. Right. Um, but outside of that wasn't one. But I was trying to give the. I was trying to give the people something. And then Greg just spouts off that he got to go to like nine sugar bowls in a row because his godfather had tickets in the early nineties or something. Jeez. And he was also like, I was at one of the last games at Yankees, the old Yankee stadium. And then he spat it off something else. I was like, Jesus, Greg, like you're just kind of a dictionary with this stuff. Like you, you really. <laughs> me that one. So, so Tori Lavallo ran you out of the locker room for a players only meeting. If I remember right. Right. Kind of – it's probably a little bit exaggerated. I would say uh, in terms of, like, dealing with guys, the two nicest people I dealt with the entire time there, and I say dealt with, none of these people would remember me from some schmuck on the street. Tori yeah. Lavola was an incredibly nice man, and I'll tell you who else was, was that poor dude that got run out of the – he got the raw deal with the Cubs, and then he got the same deal with the White Sox. Renneria. Yeah, Rick Renteria is one of the nicest human beings I've ever come in contact with. That guy was like asking me where I was from and shit, and I was like, "Dude, I'm an intern covering the Reds." After tomorrow, and you're a major league manager. Yeah, I was like, "You're never gonna see me again." What do you care that I'm from Jackson, Mississippi? But seemed genuinely interested in what I was doing in my life and all of that. I, I appreciate it, even if it was fake. But Tori Lavolo, I would say, was second. Um, he was incredibly nice, incredibly easy to talk to because there was. Dude, one of those days, I'm going off on a tangent here. You know, MLB, so they're still like the, – the those reporters don't operate as in-house guys, right? Like they're allowed to break right. stories and not and report negative right. news. But at the yeah. same time, they do work for Major League Baseball's media arm. And so for some of the kind of uh, – clickbaity is not the right word, but in-house-ish stories, they do have to do them. Basically, I'm long story short, I had to go ask a guy named Brad Boxberger – why he had an emoji on the back of his uniform because of the, they did the nickname weekend and they put a box and a hamburger on the back of his uniform. And he was the first player in MLB history to go, to go, to have an emoji on the back of his uniform. And I'm sure he was thrilled that some 23 year old was walking up to him and was like, hi, Mr. Boxberger. Can I talk to you about the emoji on the back of your uniform? But I talked to Tori Lavolo before that, because there's some guys when you go into those clubhouses, you really just don't want to screw with, particularly before a game. And some that are more personable, and I would say Tori uh, Lavolo played a pretty instrumental role in Brad Boxberger not just demolishing me upon opening my mouth. Did he really? Yeah, he was like, "Hey, this is Brian. He's you know, blah blah blah." Like, was very very helpful in that. He was very nice. Could not have been nicer. <laughs> Brad Boxberger was also very nice too. I don't think he would have jumped down my throat. I just didn't know, and I was scared shitless. I was just to say that feels like the thing where, like, on the outside it may not appear, but in your mind it's like, what possibly could go wrong here? Because that's what's about to happen. Exactly, and so I was, I was very, like, you know, I was, I was very intimidated. I mean, I, I don't mind admitting it. I was incredibly intimidated by that. But anyway, I was not booted per se. I, I probably, maybe I, did, I don't want to say exaggerated. I did not maybe articulate that as well as it happened. So what happened was it was a late August series, and the Diamondbacks were playing the Reds. And when people forget about that year, you remember when the Dodgers lost the 2017 World Series to the Astros? Yes. Their next season, they started off horribly. They sucked. They were in a huge hole. and so They had to play a, a, a division championship game and an extra game against the Rockies that year. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. So that's 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 the crazy part about how the division ended up. But do you know who was in first place in early August that year? Probably Arizona. The Arizona Diamondbacks. And so they were like one as a couple of their traveling beat reporters put it, they were the most boring first place team in the history of baseball. Because you could probably not remember a single team about that Diamondbacks team. But that Diamondbacks team had led wire to wire in the division. And both yeah. the Rockies and the Dodgers were nipping on their heels at that point. And after the second game of that series, they lost a close game in the ninth to where Archie Bradley, who the Archie Bradley's the guy that pooped his pants in the bullpen one time, right? Yeah. yeah. He was he gave up a he he screwed up something late and the Reds won and I don't remember if it was a walk off or it was the eighth. It doesn't really matter. We were supposed to set to go in the clubhouse, and basically the way that works is you sit in this little like waiting room per se until they open the doors and you kind of walk in its fair game. And they kind of halfway opened the doors and like a couple people walked in and I was kind of behind them and I kind of got into the clubhouse and then we all got kind of ushered back out. And so it wasn't like an aggressive thing, but they had had a players only meeting and that's why they were pushing us out of the locker room. But the funny part about it was, is we're standing in between the clubhouse and this waiting room and you can hear them yelling, like it's a classic pennant race. There's a bunch of pissed off dudes in there. I mean, you're talking, Paul Goldschmidt, Zach Greinke, like they, they had some fire. Zach Godley, the kid that pitched for Tennessee, yeah. like they had some fiery dudes in there. Like, and things were not going well for them at that point in the season. And so they kind of shut ushered us out for a second. Had this players only meeting, but the funniest part about it was, is once they let us back in the locker room, it was very clear what had gone down. Like you didn't need you know inside sources to understand that they just had some kind of come to Jesus meeting to kind of start playing better. But if you ask them about it, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. What meeting? And this is five minutes after it happened. <laughs> I just heard you call him an mf for six minutes. Like, you're, you're lying. You guys just pushed us out of the clubhouse. What do you mean, what meeting? So, that was that story. It was an interesting little, little nugget and insight into the minds of uh, professional baseball players. Because, you know, at the end of the day, no one will ever remember that Diamondbacks team for anything. But it was an interesting no. moment. Uh, his second part of his question is, Colin, will you accept my follower request? So, I'll let you handle Oh, I, I – so – like quick aside, I have to lock my account uh, being a teacher because I uh, can't have kids follow me. Like that's the rule. So I never check my follower request. Yes, I will. Okay. Good for you, Tim Peeler. Congrats. We got that resolved. The last one we have is from Tyler Hayes, who was the guy that definitely dropped this on Sunday night. So we have, let's see. Oh, okay. Here we go. Um, if you or Colin could attend or reattend past three sporting events in your lifetime, what would they be? Nine would be – oh, just three pass, not three, three pass. His is Ole Miss Bama 2014, Cubs Game 7, World Series, and then the 2019 match. What are yours? Um, so I get to reattend them? I didn't really understand the question. Oh, sorry, because I, I, I read that wrong because I don't know how to read it's attend or reattend. So you can pick ones you haven't been to or ones you did go to. All right. I would reattend the 2014 Ole Miss Alabama game because that was awesome. Um, the 2014, I mean, I'm just a massive Ole Miss baseball fan. I would go to the game three super regional again. Um, and then I don't want to do another one. I mean, 2016 Cubs one is up there. Uh, I want to go to a Super Bowl, though. So. Let's see. What was a good Super Bowl? I don't want to go to the 28-3 one. The, maybe the uh, Eagles-Pats Super Bowl that they played. That was a hell of a game. Oh, the Philly special game. That is a very good one. That's a – yeah, Super Bowl would be badass. Um, 
honestly, I'm, I'm not to be lazy, but I might steal from both of y'all. So I, the 2019 Masters just being there when Tiger did what he did, because I think that's the greatest comeback yeah. in the history of sports. Of I'm going to that one. And, you know, we talked about our dying fandom. I would still love to run in 2016. And then a third. Mm, I'll go ahead and throw the old Miss Lafayette game. I I say Lafayette, Lafayette game up there. Just because of the way that played out of the interesting dynamics in that stadium. If nothing else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that. were you there that night? No, no, I was uh, so I was a freshman in school, and then I was coming back. I was working a job in Jackson, so I was not there that night. Can I make a hot take though? Sure. I don't want to live relive Ole Miss Alabama twenty fourteen. I would like the oh. the legend of that to continue to live on, and the memory I have of that right now just to continue <laughs> to be the way it is. Sure, that's. A, I just that's feel like point. it may not be good a second time, and I'm scared about that. So that was on his list, obviously, and obviously perfectly understandable. But I don't know if I want to relive it. I would like to just continue to have the memories I have of that, and then that just be it. Absolutely, I'm fine with that. Um, so here's what I will say about that Alabama 2014 game. At no point, at no point until the clock hit zero. Well, okay, I'll say until they announced that Sinquez picked it off. At no point did I think Ole Miss was going to win that football game. None. Like, that, that's the beauty of being an Ole Miss fan. It's like I spent the entire halftime with my head in my hands because the moron officials – and look, I'm not the guy that says that, you know, Ole Miss gets screwed by Alabama. I got – somebody's going to have to explain to me how the man that's standing right beside Octavius Mathers does not see the dude from Alabama grab his face mask. I almost said a word I shouldn't. Like, how did you not see that, bro? So I have a tough time believing that. So I'm like almost in tears at halftime. Um, and then, then they come out. They're, they're in the game the whole second half. They're behind the second half. They finally take the lead because if you remember, they tied up at 17. And it's like, well, you're just kicking it off and they're going to go score and win the game. Then they get the fumble. They score. They miss the extra point. So I still don't think they're going to win. Like I'm just saying, oh, they're going to lose 24 to 23. That's what I love about being an Ole Miss fan is like, even though when you're statistically – probably gonna win the football game it's like nope we're still gonna lose I'm so bad about that like when Ritter kicked the field goal against LSU and there was two seconds left I everybody was cheering I was like no guys there's there's two seconds left like y'all shut up for like five minutes make sure Odell doesn't take this to the house Jackson Academy alum Andrew Ritter and I was about to say (laughs) not to be that guy but you said there's no point I ever thought that won that game I fell in the same boat except for the 45 seconds that transpired between the Jalen Walton touchdown and the sure, next extra sure. point. Okay. He was going to win it for that 45 seconds. And then when he kicks the extra point off the upright, I'm like, all right, you know what? Nope. I was going to say, I know how this is. And then he threw the ball over the middle to O.J. Howard, and I was like, shit, that's it. And no, I'm rooting. Complete, and I was like, oh, God. Here I am go. rooting. At this point, when Amari Cooper breaks the big run, I am rooting. I'm like, just let him score. Just let him score. Get the football back with a minute and a half left. Just let him score. Like, that's how insane I was over that game. Uh, the 2014 Super Regional game, I didn't go. Um, I, I was like you. I was working um, in journalism for uh, as, as an internship at some paper or whatever. I can tell you that – look, I've been an Ole Miss fan for – I'm 27. I've been an Ole Miss fan since I was five, so 22 years. That is the most nervous I have ever been over a sporting event in my life. I, I, I was not well at work that day. And, like, I don't mean that, like, ha-ha, like, he, he's an Ole Miss fan and was nervous. No, like, I, I was almost physically sick that day waiting for that game. That I don't want to ever experience something like that again. 
I think most people would agree with you because if, if, if they lose that game and you talk about, I mean, to, to pretend like all every single one of those dudes that suited up for Ole Miss that night did not know what was on the no, line. No, no, no. They knew. Decade plus of history. They, they'll tell you. Sykes Orvis, I talked to him for that whole Perdzok story back in the day. He knew it. Perdzok knew it. Austin Anderson, who's like from Georgia or some shit and not even know it, he knew it. He was like, that sucked. Like, feeling the weight of all that. No, I, I don't think this group of kids now cares about that. No, because but, they but got if there. that hadn't happened, those kids would no, do it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I that 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 whole weight thing. I mean, if it does, that's kind of my point. If it doesn't happen, then it's like this is literally. Never I got, here's a hot take for you. Doesn't happen then. Mike Bianco's not the coach at Ole Miss anymore. A hundred percent. And he doesn't survive fifteen. Even though that was actually a pretty good coaching job by him, a really good coaching job by him. He doesn't survive well, fifteen. And then even if he does, he certainly he doesn't survive seven. Does not survive the sixteen home regional fiasco. I think he get, I think he may could survive that, but he wouldn't have survived thirteen and seventeen or fourteen and sixteen and seventeen. Yep, I I would agree. But he's that. gone either way. Yeah, and I would I think a lot of Ole Miss fans in terms of like the sick this feeling in their stomach that agree with that because it's not like oh big game anticipation. It's like if this happens again, like how do you recover from this? Because the fact that Mike Bianco still to this day is one and five or one and six or whatever is in super regional. Yeah. It's still a statistical anomaly, but can you imagine being Oh, and six. How does oh, that happen? God. Like, oh. in the world is that statistically possible? It's a two out of three series. You lost all six. <laughs> how in the world does that even happen? One in five is still kind of like, okay, that's still a statistical anomaly. But oh, and six is like. Hey, what, what was this fellow's name that uh, asked me to accept his follower request? Tim Peeler, or his, his Twitter handle is Farmer Dink. Farmer Dink. Okay. Tim, there we go. Got it. Oh, that's a weird place. Uh, yeah. By the way, I texted you on Friday. Tyler Hayes, who's. Uh, he. He's the one that told us to start dropping this on Sunday night, which I will, but it's also very late at this point. Um, we'll start yeah. doing this when I don't have to travel. He was the uh, – I shouldn't do that screenshot. He was the – we were not – we were on to something there. He was the wedding guy that said oh. he'd go to Memphis to watch that game before his wedding day. Um, and I don't know. I thought he put it pretty, pretty succinctly. He said, I got shut down pretty quickly on that. <laughs> I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm not going to coax you into like a divorce or anything. I think your wife was probably in the right there. Yeah. yeah. Wait, was this – so it was Arkansas. Was this a football game or, a, or was it the Super Regional? No, this was – I'm pretty sure this was him wanting to go watch Ole Miss go play basketball in Memphis that day. Oh. Oh, yeah. It probably shows you his level of commitment. We're talking a regular season November hoops game. He was wanting respect. to swing that before his wedding. I was all for it. I still am all for it. I think but, that uh, might have been the uh, – I think that might be the last day Blake Henson made a shot. Yep, that's great. It's a great point. It might be the last day Blake Henson made a shot in an Ole Miss uniform. And uh, perfectly, I'm pretty sure K.J. Buffin fouled out of that game. So, you really just got – That's a, it's got the epitome of Ole Miss basketball. Pretty safe bet. You got, you got the full trifecta there. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty mature of me. I, I see your wife's point of view in that. Oh, God. Speaking of uh, Super Regionals real quick, you know, we're talking about Ole Miss hosting. I I was talking about this with a friend today. I tell you what, it it does matter, like, what seed you are, right? Like, you'd much rather be the three seed than the eight seed. So, if I'm Ole Miss, I'm trying to get to 19 to 20 wins where I get to host Virginia Tech instead of, you know, uh, Florida. 
Oh, I had this explanation with my brother the other day while we were actually on the golf course. He was saying, like, when you get in there, like, what seed you get doesn't matter if you're top eight. I was like, in most years, for the most part, yes. Obviously, one and eight are a big difference. But in a year like this, you're exactly right. I think this year it matters quite a bit. Yeah, you're going to get some screwy team that's a host that's like a 12 that's actually a hell of a lot better than they are. Um, and I, I feel like there's more teams like that this year than there has been in years past. Can you imagine look, look, two years ago? You're Arkansas in the number five seed. Look, they wound up winning. Can you imagine looking up and your super regional pairing is Ole Miss? Do you know how pissed off I would be? Yeah, that would that would suck. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a very good example. It's like, can you, you know I, 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 I'm, like you got to be kidding me? <laughs> like we get the one team that we lost at home to. Y'all are really going to send them? But like, screw you. What sucks about controlled their own fate? If they had beat Ole Miss one of the two times in in Hoover, they wouldn't have had yeah. to have them as the as the. And and here's what sucks about that 19 team. Um, if they would have been seeded correctly and been given the 16 seed, they would have beat UCLA. Oh yeah, that is very true. They kind of got jobbed by that because they ended up going to like <laughs> I mean, the, the 12. Yeah, they got the 12, which they absolutely didn't deserve. Um, if they would have got the 16, they would have beat UCLA like a drum. They would have, which you could argue is kind of some more old Miss baseball misfortune. Because that was so funny. It was like I was writing the column that was like, damn, this team. Because they lost that Sunday game to Vanderbilt yeah. in the championship or whatever. And it was like, damn, this team got so close. This shouldn't diminish what they did in Hoover this week. They'll still be okay. And then the, the Kendall and Aaron had them. They the, know, by the way. Yeah, like, they know. They, yeah, you're you're dead on there to where they had Ole Miss. It's like I think they had Ole Miss as like the thirteenth or fourteenth, and I was like, what the hell? And then it comes out and it's like actually this wasn't close. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, as far as hosts and stuff, those guys you know, those come out on Sunday night. Oh, those they guys know. know. They know. If on the very small chance Kendall or Aaron is listening to this, sorry to spoil the secret, but yes, they know. Yeah. Like pay attention when look, I, I have some qualms with the way Kendall sometimes talks about Ole Miss, but yeah, like as far as reporting, no, that, that those guys are excellent. And when those guys come out with their 16 host sites on Sunday, pay, pay attention to them. It's not, it's not, their 16 host sites are not a projection per se. Two hours. I've kept you for yet another Sunday megapod to which you pay me for, as we discussed earlier. We would be remiss if we did not discuss what just took place in the final four. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, so. Like full full disclosure, I'm a I'm not near as much of a Gonzaga fan as I am an Ole Miss fan, but I have been like kind of casual Gonzaga fan for the past five or six years. You have, I wanted you keep, to you die. Watch all the games. I wanted to die on Saturday night. I wanted to die because, and I tweeted because I was pissed off. I was like, you put Gonzaga's defense on a milk carton because they're missing. I went back and rewatched. UCLA just made shots all night long, and I'm like, we're we're guarding them. What do we do? Like they just making mid range shot after mid range shot, and I'm just saying four letter word after four letter word. You're you're dead on with that because that's exactly the way that game went. And gosh, damn, what an all time classic that was. And that that sucks. But I mean, UCLA delivered a performance. I mean, whatever Titanic, whatever it was, it was unbelievable because it was like you know Gonzaga's beat the shit out of everyone. And of course, Gonzaga obviously did not play its best game. But you talk about it's like, how is UCLA in this game? It's like, well, they didn't miss. Like, the entire second half, they had shot maker after shot maker after shot maker. And the reason they were in the game is because it went way beyond Johnny Huzang or whatever the kid's name is. Because that's the only kid they had for three rounds that could create a shot. Like, their run 
up to that point, and I don't mean to discredit them at all, was very fluky if you looked at it from a number sure. perspective. It was super fluky. But, man, they played like gods, and they didn't deserve the result they got in the manner in which they got it. I would have rather – again, I'm not a UCLA fan. I wasn't necessarily aggressively rooting for Gonzaga, but, man, you swept up in the moment and you start rooting for Curry, and it's like – those kids didn't deserve that. Like, they, I would have rather them lost by six in a second overtime. Oh, yeah. The way it did. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, that was tough. And then, you know, I mean, just – yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, you, you talk about, um, you know, they make shots, they shoot out of their mind, and they lost. Like, you you play like that and you win 99.9% of the time, and that effort, like, everything they did was not good enough to beat Gonzaga. Like, does that, that – Gonzaga – I think I could argue they might be the best team in college basketball history. They're, like they're – I mean, talk about so it's a different argument, right? Best team and most talented. That's not what you're saying. No. Like, talk about a team that plays well within one another and has zero weaknesses. Yes, obviously the five slam jamma, Name the team. There's obviously, I mean, the Kentucky team in twelve. There's been sure. teams with more talent, but you talk about a cohesive unit that plays together and everything you want to layer, whether it's offensively, defensively, you want in a basketball team. That team has it in spades. I would agree. I think they're up there with the greatest college basketball teams. At least in the modern age. Because, honestly, we're old enough now to where it's – or I say old enough, maybe still young enough. Do you remember what it was like to have all these dudes coming back for three, four years? Like, it's a different world. So, maybe, like, qualifier of the modern age. Because, like, you know, you get – can you imagine if this Gonzaga team played together for four years? How good would they be? I just played the thing again. I couldn't do it. Did you hear that on the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just played it again. I couldn't. I couldn't get enough of it. That shot was insane. I hate that for UCLA, but man, what a titanic performance that they had! Like I I couldn't believe that game was at that position it was at because, like you mentioned, you watched Gonzaga all year. They didn't play great, but they also weren't atrocious. No, no. And I'm mad during the game and, like, texting my friends, like, could we guard somebody? And I, Because, like, you're watching the game as a fan. You're emotional, right? And I went back and I was like, we got hands in these dudes' faces. And, the like, Tiger Campbell shoots 27% from three and he can't miss. Like, somebody explain this to me. And um, this, it's a, the whole epitome of it was, right, they get down five in that overtime. The kid makes and a you think it's over. ridiculous contested three. Then they get a tough-ass stop that was a hell of a defensive possession, if you go back and watch that. And then they miss their shot, and the kid just bullies them for the offensive rebound, which Gonzaga does not allow, and puts it back in. Like, it was literally just a godlike performance that still wasn't enough, which tells me they're beating Baylor on Monday night. Yes, that, that was just to say, I don't think tomorrow night with four minutes left, the game's close. Let me just – I'm laying. This is going to go, right? Everyone's going to bet on Baylor after Gonzaga gets in. I'm laying four and a half. I was about to say, I say everyone's going to bet on Baylor. A bunch of squares are going to bet on Baylor because of the way that game ended and how Baylor looked impressed in the final four. But I think it's, that game's only four and a half. If it were seven, I would have hammered Gonzaga. <laughs> I might have hammered it at ten. I'm serious. I I can't handle another uh, Saturday night tomorrow night. I have school on Tuesday. Don't do that to me, Gonzaga. And speaking of school, 820. Tip, let's think about the children here. Can we get this yeah. thing at seven? Yeah, good God. Uh, I actually – I'm kind of thankful I have a baseball game at five, so maybe that'll let me see it. That worked out for me, but and the we'll other tomorrow game, night. The other game was not competitive, uh, and I thought no, that was bizarre. No. And I didn't watch. I, the I, I, I didn't watch the dribble of the other game. Didn't watch the dribble. 
Because by the time I was done watching Arkansas, watching Auburn freaking blow another lead, I like flip over there and it's 20. I'm like, well, screw this. I'm going to watch something else. Yeah. And uh, that, that game sucked. I mean, it was – so I was – I watched a little bit of it, and it was 19 to 11, and then I switched venues to where I was watching it at my house, and then I went to a uh, little crawfish boil get-together, and I got to the house I was getting at, and it was like, oh, it's 45-20 at halftime. I was like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, not, so it's not like it competitive, but, man, you know, talk about a strong performance by Baylor, though. I'm not discounting their chances. I just think Gonzaga's too good, man. And you know how, like – uh, I think a miracle performance, I think it's probably enough fuel for them to go ahead and finish this damn thing. You know how you scroll through Facebook, right, and you like – you see most of the stuff that was like an hour ago, and then you see something that was like two days ago. Well, today at like 12 o'clock, I scroll through and I see uh, like this tweet from NCAA March Madness. It's like, Kelvin Sampson has never lost to Baylor. And I'm like, well, that's no longer true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Facebook timeline algorithm is something else, which before we get off into the weeds about uh, Facebook algorithms, we'll save that for the weekend show. We'll save the picks for the weekend show as well. I've kept you too long. I didn't do well in those. I don't think I did either. I don't remember what I picked, but I don't think I uh, – I don't think I did great. So we'll have to see uh, the rock fight that that surmounted to be um, next Thursday night when we record. I appreciate you, dude. I appreciate everyone listening. This is uh this has been a blast. This is becoming a tradition. We end up talking Ole Miss baseball and we look up and it's like, Oh, we've been on this recording for two hours. That's fine. Uh, we're, we're at the point of school, like during the school year where we're just getting through. So it, it's nothing for me to stay up a little late. Absolutely, dude. I appreciate it as always. You'll be back at it on – you're going to mailbag Friday with it? Now we have a oh, schedule? Absolutely. Thursday night because almost doesn't play on Thursday. Thank God. Yes. Thank God we're back to a normal schedule. So we'll be back at it on Thursday. I'll have something in the midweek. i got a couple ideas in the works. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. Colin will be back on the pod with me on Friday. We'll preview – Old Miss Arkansas series is sure to be a good one. Remind you one more time to go check out Skybox Sports Picks if you have it. March Madness is winding down. Skybox is not. They're destroying it on NASCAR. They're good on baseball over under. You should go check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. And then check out Greg the Meat Sharp. He outlined all of what you need to know next week um, on the Friday podcast. We've probably got a new special coming out. We'll see. I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll keep that a surprise. Subscribe to the news. I can't talk today. The newsletter where to find out, rippywrites at subtag.com. Uh, everybody have a safe and happy start to their week. Appreciate it, dude. I'll talk to you Friday. Sounds good.